From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount Plus. Yes! The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean and a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome to Composite Two-Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast with a couple of one-star hosts, Chris 10K Trevino and Gerard Hurricane Martinez. Part of the USCfootball.com podcast family, the Cilantro Boys talk about everything from commitment breakdowns, game analysis, old recruiting stories, and of course, some unsubstantiated rumors. And now, here are your hosts, 18K and Gerald. Welcome back to Composite Two Star Recruits. I am your one star host, Chris Trevino, and as always, joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Hurricane Martinez, also known as Garage Martinez to some, and Gerald. By even fewer. Gerard, we usually record on Wednesday afternoon, goes up on Thursday. But in preparation to this being a very long podcast, I decided to record a day earlier so we can just record through Wednesday. How does that sound? That sounds perfect because that is what we expect. Talking about the new defensive coordinator hire in Deanton Lynn and the transfer porthole, a.k.a. Transfer Palooza, which is kicking off this week, and um, the rest of the defensive staff. There's so many different things to talk about. And most importantly, Chris, there's so many things to get into the weeds about. We're going to be up to our eyeballs in the weeds talking about defensive schemes, talking about recruiting philosophies, talking about coaching philosophies. It's going to be a long, long podcast. They're, uh, They're salivating. Because this is why, if, you, if you're if you a fan of this podcast, the majority of people listen to this podcast because they love to listen to us, mainly Gerard, get into the weeds about whatever it may be, a defensive scheme, a certain body type on the recruiting trail, um, a old Pete Carroll story, our old recruiting story. They just want to hear you, Gerard, get into the minutiae of everything. And there'll be a lot of minutia on this show. And I'm going to break it down to you simple. The first half of the show is basically going to be all about new defensive coordinator, Denton Lynn and his scheme and reactions from defensive commits, some new offers, kind of everything boiled into one 
in the short term in terms of Lynn. And then in the second half, because we have two giant things happening with the new DC and the transfer portal, as Gerard alluded to, started on Monday. So we're going to jump into the portal in the second half of the show. We're going to talk about QBs. We're going to talk about what scholarships have actually gone out, what public scholarships have gone out, and then everyone's favorite segment, Gerard, which is unsubstantiated rumors. And you have a lot written down here for unsubstantiated rumors, Gerard. There's a lot that has been unsubstantiated, but it's one of those times of years where, especially with the transfer portal, we got to guesstimate a little bit. Mm -hmm. We're not going to have sources and confirmed, verified information on all of these moves or potential moves because we know how quickly the transfer portal moves and how it goes. And when you're talking about top-end players, the amount of time that they're actually publicly known to be transferring as opposed to when they're already on campus taking a visit and finalizing their commitments to a new school. So, yeah, we're going to get into a little bit of that, a little bit of – who's out there, maybe some names that aren't out there. We're not going to reach too far. We're not going to go too far because obviously we could just sit there all day long and go over each roster of every Power 5 school and start talking about potential angles and relationships that USC had with those players in the recruiting process out of high school. So we don't want to go and reach too much, but we are going to talk a little bit outside the lines of the portal. What Gerard is saying is that even the weeds have a limit. There's a limit to the weeds at some point. Yeah, at some and, point you start getting into the to the river, and the river can hit, just we're hitting take the you sediment. Away. We're hitting the sediment in the Earth's core at some point. We're gonna if we go too far. So yeah, there has to be a cutoff point. And and, and talking about cutoff points, I might be cutting listener questions today. I'm not saying I'm doing it officially. I'm just saying when the dust settles and we get through the actual meat of the show. And I look up and it's like Thursday morning at 1 a.m. in the morning. I may be cutting listener questions because everyone's messing with me this week. The listener questions we got are all multi-part questions, <laughs> which is just a backbreaker for me on top of a very long show. So maybe I'll do one. Maybe. But again, I'm gonna when I look up and see the recording, what day it is, what time it is, we'll, we'll see if we can get to a question or two. Because there are some interesting ones that I would like to throw at Gerard. But again, we'll see. But there was a lot to dive into. So let's not waste any more time. But before that, you know, we're talking about or we're going to be talking about the transfer market and how complex and crazy it can be. Well, you know what else is also crazy and complex? The housing market, Gerard. And that plays into the official sponsor of the Composite Two Star Recruits, Meredith Schlosser one of the top real estate agents in Los Angeles with over $600 million in sales and more than 200 five-star Zillow reviews. That's a lot of five-star Zillow reviews. And if you want someone on your side to navigate that crazy housing market, Meredith is the one you got to go with. Her he, her and her team have represented me, a one-star, all the way up to Jeannie Buss, the president of the Los Angeles Lakers. If you're a Lakers fan, how much would you love to say my real estate agent is also the real estate agent of Jeannie Buss. You would love that. Meredith is backed by a full-service team that allows her to service a wide range of clientele for rental sales and purchases. She has extensive experience with first-time home buyers and sellers. Meredith was recently recognized by Wall Street Journal within the top 1.5% of agents in the nation, not California, not Southern California, the nation. You can learn more about Meredith and her team at www.meredith.com. 
Schlosser.com, S-C-H-L-O-S-S-E-R. And you can check out her business Instagram at Meredith Real Estate. And yeah, Meredith's the best. Seriously, I like I just mentioned, I work with her. She helped me get into the house I'm in now. She's the best. If you're thinking about buying or selling your house in the new year or this month or whatever, go with her. You will not regret it. Gerard, cold open time. It's pretty simple for us. That is the hiring of Danton Lynn, the new defensive coordinator replacing Alex Grinch. You know, we talked a little bit on our last show. We talked a little bit about Tony White. And then the next day ends up being Lynn there right before the Pac-12 championship ended up starting. Kudos to the boss man, Ryan Abraham, who doubled down while he was in Vegas and put it out there on the Peristyle first out scoop some uh, national guys uh, a few minutes before that. So shout out to the boss man, getting that in. Danton Lynn, Gerard, I just want you to, I know you've given your reaction on the Helium Boys podcast. Shout out to that crossover. Thanks for coming on. You only did eight minutes, which is like 30 seconds in Gerard speak. But if you could just take me back to what your initial reaction was when it hit that Danton Lynn from UCLA was coming over going to be the new USC defensive coordinator. That's very interesting. In a good way is basically what my reaction was. It's a lot to unpack because there's not a lot of experience there as a defensive coordinator. And then on the other side of it, he's young. He comes from the NFL. And so you're going to get a scheme which is not going to be built on marginalized talent which is something that we've talked a lot about the past few weeks, looking at different defensive schemes, different defensive coordinators, speaking specifically on Tony White and the 3-3-5 and the 3-3-5 stack, going back to Jolie Dunn and Rocky Long and how you develop that scheme at New Mexico and why the scheme is run the way it's run. That's not USC. That's not Miami. That's not Florida. That's not these schools that are blue blood level programs or programs, more importantly, that can build a roster with the top recruits in the country. And that's what USC can do. That's what USC should be doing. There should be no excuses for having a top 10 class if you're winning year in and year out. If you're not able to achieve those goals and get a top 10 class, every cycle, then there are other issues that need to be addressed from the top down. But looking at it at face value, just from the perspective of what do you want to see in the defensive scheme from your defensive coordinator, you want a guy that coaches big boy football for big boys, because that's where USC wants to be. So you don't go and grab a scheme that's the equivalent of the air raid for defense. You want to get somebody who has seen it at the highest level it's played, and that's the NFL. And so I know DeAnton Lynn comes from the NFL. I didn't know a, a lot about his roots. I, I sort of kind of did, but I didn't want to riff too much and be wrong and not really understand the full length of his resume and sort of who he was coaching with, but I do now. So, you know, initially it was just, okay, he's an NFL guy. I like that. I am wary because he's only done it once at one other school. And certainly that turnaround at UCLA was pretty amazing. In fact, a minor miracle is basically what I called it in the piece that I wrote about. So my initial reaction was, this is interesting 
but in a good way. And I'm excited to see sort of what his roots in the NFL are and how that might translate and how it has already translated at UCLA, because that's the big question there is going from the pros to college. How's that going to work? Well, he's already gone through that transition. And Gerard, just a bigger picture. How does the hiring of Danton Lynn as the DC affect USC's chances to hire Jim Leonard as the DC? I have to say they hurt. Can we agree on that? Yeah, probably not going to happen. I don't see a co-coordinator situation lining up for USC. I didn't really see that ever just based on the names that were thrown out there. And most of the guys that we were hearing about that had even initial contact with USC representatives and that search firm that's kind of doing analytics through agents it didn't seem like a lot of those names were going to be guys that were going to share titles. So, yeah, I think uh, we can put the Jim Leonard stuff to bed. Uh, we can put Tony White to bed. We can put Ed Ergeron to bed. All the names that came up uh, over the course of the search uh, on the Peristyle. And it times up well us doing this podcast today because Danton Lynn actually made his media debut with the USC media. He did a Zoom call this afternoon from the road, he is on the road recruiting, so he did not show his face. He just did the uh, the old audio on the Zoom call to uh, to uh, preserve the internet, if you will, for uh, the call was a little so bit late. Confirming but- he was he was at Walter Nolan's house. Is yes, that, is that what you're confirming? Okay. Just because I couldn't see it, I can. It sounded like you know that air. It sounded like Texas air. So I'm going to assume Walter Nolan. I don't know. Walter Texas, Nolan right? might be back in Tennessee. He's originally from Tennessee, mm. so. I don't yeah, know, maybe, maybe it, it's it felt like name. Southern Air. It felt like Southern <laughs> Air to me. It sounded like it started with a T, like the kind yeah. of air that it's it just like T's are in the air. Yeah, it felt like that. And he also did drop that he's going to be in Connecticut tomorrow. So going out there to see Elijah Newby is the presumption to get out there. But, you know, press conference, it was very interesting because I, I pointed this out. I only watched his one media availability at UCLA. He only was allowed to talk once at UCLA. And what I picked up is that Danton Lynn, when you ask him something, he's not going to over-explain. He's going to answer exactly what you asked him. He's not going to expand anymore, more than he needs to. He, I'm not saying he gives short answers. He gives, He says what he needs to say in the answer that he gives. So that is different from Alex Grinch. And that Alex Grinch would could take a simple question and stretch it out really long. Uh, initially, you know, that was something we liked about Alex Grinch. But as he became more embattled, you know, I felt like maybe it was a defense mechanism where he would just take any question and stretch it out. His answer is super long so he could minimize how many questions he was asked. So I, I found that interesting about listening to Lynn talk and. I think the other media picked up on that quick because we were getting through a lot of questions with Lynn because he would just give answers and answers and answers. Um, so we had about, I would say, maybe like 15, 20 minutes with him. I think the biggest takeaway for me was him saying, you know, he's not really – he said it like, I this isn't me. This isn't my scheme. I'm not really tied to a scheme like that because he really emphasized that he wants a very versatile scheme. He wants a very flexible scheme that he can mold to whatever players he has on the roster, whatever players they bring in, whether that be the portal or the recruiting class. So 
that was his whole thing. He wanted to be, this is just me paraphrasing. He wanted to be like, like water. That's it can move. It can adapt. It can do whatever you need it to do. Fill whatever space you needed to space. Maybe one year you have a six foot seven linebacker like Eric Gentry and you can play around with that. Maybe you have th- four massive 300 pound defensive line. Maybe you only have one next year and you have a bunch of talented uh, blisters off the edge. So Whatever you have on the roster, he's going to build and tinker his uh, scheme to the players. He said it's all about the players. It's all about them. So I thought that was really interesting. And that was kind of my first big, uh, not light bulb, but like the first thing that really caught my attention, listening to him speak about his defense and his philosophy. So, yeah, maybe that plays into you jumping into the weeds about the scheme and philosophy or if you want to hear more press conference takes. Well, Listening to the press conference. Oh, you did. You did. I would say boilerplate. Boilerplate comes to mind because from almost every defensive coordinator you're going to talk to in that setting, they're going to use three words to describe their scheme. Sometimes they'll use all three. Sometimes they'll just use one. But you're going to hear flexible. You're going to hear versatile. And you're going to hear multiple. Every coordinator is going to use those words to describe their scheme because they don't want to be pigeonholed into this is what they do. Because on the recruiting trail, you can on usually kind of pivot and say, well, we like this guy because of this reason. And people will say, well, does it fit the scheme? It's like, well, the scheme is hybrid. It's multiple. It's versatile. It's flexible. But In reality, everybody's scheme comes from somewhere and there are philosophical roots and you do certain things for a reason. And that is ultimately what was going to make you successful or not. And you can't be everything. Just like offensively, you you really can't be everything. You sort of have to pick your poison as to where you want to focus your strengths. And certainly you want to have the ability to be multidimensional, both offensively and defensively, but you always have to sort of be better at one thing than other things. And you have to choose what is most important and you have to choose what's most important and how it fits with what you have to work with. In other words, the personnel. So from a philosophical point, it's interesting because Jim Leonard, who we spoke about earlier, who is still technically a defensive analyst for Illinois, the former interim coach at Wisconsin and defensive coordinator for Wisconsin. Now, Leonard basically built his name at Wisconsin. Now, the bad thing about Leonard, or I would say the perceived uh, drawback of hiring him was everything he's done, he's done at Wisconsin. You didn't necessarily have a whole lot of other, not just coordinator roles that he'd filled, but coaching roles. He not really coached anywhere else, but his tree in terms of philosophical roots and a lot of what he says philosophically openly comes from Rex Ryan when he played for Rex Ryan. Now he played for Rex Ryan. Danton Lynn coached under Rex Ryan. He played a little bit for Rex Ryan, but he really coached with Rex Ryan and Dennis Thurman initially right out of the gates with the Jets and the Buffalo Bills. So here you have him getting into the coaching game, his dad already being a coach in the NFL and was a longtime coach in the NFL. 
So he comes from a coaching family. He ends up with the Jets, the Bills, and then from there, he hops, skips around. He has a little bit of uh, uh, Romeo Cornell. He mentions in the press conference, interestingly, Gus Bradley, which is kind of a different school completely. It's more along the lines of the USC, uh, Pete Carroll, uh, 4-3 type of school. And then he comes back to the Rex Ryan roots with Don Martindale, Don Wink Martindale, who is uh, one of the better defensive coordinators really here in Please, the last decade. In the don't NFL. call him. Don't call him Don. It's strictly Wink on this show. It's strictly Wink. Uh, and so he's there in, I believe it's 2021 with the Ravens under Martindale. And then Martindale leaves. And he's retained as a safeties coach by Mike McDonald, who had coached under Wink Martindale for like seven years and then went to Michigan and became the defensive coordinator at Michigan and had a, a year at Michigan. He was really good at Michigan. And then after Martindale is, is, is fired, resigns, there's sort of controversy as to what was really going on. It He had uh, one of the, the the more down years for the Ravens defense in 2021, but they also had like half the roster injured. And so it wasn't really thought that it was the results of the defense. It was more a personal thing with him and John Harbaugh. And that's why Martindale decided to go elsewhere. And right now is the defense coordinator of the New York Giants. So in comes Mike McDonald. And again, still same tree, same tree. And Mike McDonald comes in, and, and Mike McDonald has been ultra successful at uh, Baltimore. And, you know, I, I guess Martindale must have said, hey, this Danton Lynn kid, he's a good coach. You know, I'm sure he tried to take him to New York, but probably gave him uh, the sort of, you know, uh, green light to McDonald. This is a guy that if you if you want to keep him, he's worth keeping which says something, you know, the, the retaining a coach with two different staffs and two different uh, coaches, you know, you kind of have to think about whether you, sometimes it's better just to clear house. Uh, and USC is going through that process right now where a lot of people are saying clear house. Gantelin needs to bring in a whole new defensive staff. And there's much more argument for that, in my opinion, than there was with the Ravens when Martindale left. But nevertheless, he gets to coach under McDonald, and again, one of the better defensive coordinators in the league. So when you're looking at philosophical roots, they're very strong, and they really go back to Rex Ryan. That's sort of what comes up time and time again. Uh, and, you know, people want to know, okay, so is this a 3-4? Is this a 4-3? And I, and I wrote about all this and did a very detailed – I would say very detailed. I didn't want to get, you know, too detailed because you can talk over people's heads here – but went into why he runs what he runs. And if you're talking about Rex Ryan, you're talking about a 3-4-4-3 hybrid scheme. How can you run a 3-4 and a 4-3? Well, with Ryan, it was really more of a 4-3 philosophy in terms of attacking. So he did run one gap and some two gap, but it was really more from an alignment standpoint running a 3-4, which you see – with Lynn at UCLA, he runs plenty of three down, two outside linebackers, two inside linebackers. That is a 3-4. Don't let anybody tell you differently, even though there's going to be instances where they will run nickel and they will run what some people call 4-2-5. I like to call it a 2-4-5 only because 
you've got two down defensive linemen and your ends, which are standing up, they can be linebackers more than defensive linemen. They can be defensive linemen more than linebackers. It's really dependent on your personnel. But I think anytime you have someone there like a Yuchina Nuusu who can get out in space and cover into the curl flat, you don't necessarily look at them like the old school 425, which was the old school nickel where you had four down linemen. So I kind of make that distinction because I think personnel and why you're using those players that way is more important than just numbers on the line. Because you could very easily say that a 3-4 is a 5-2. It's like, well, no, it's not. Because two of those guys at the line of scrimmage are actually outside linebackers. Nevertheless, this is a scheme which, when you look at it from a personnel standpoint, it's a big boy scheme. Because you're going to have a zero shade nose tackle slash nose guard that is going to need to control the middle of the line, demand double teams. UCLA had that in Jay Toya. They don't have that at USC right now. They don't have that 330-pound nose tackle, nose guard that can play a two-gap and be able to take both A-gaps on either side, as particularly against the run. And so – it was a minor miracle what Lynn did at UCLA with that scheme. Even though they have Jay Toya there as a nose tackle, they've got guys that are 260 running the five technique and the three technique. Gabriel Murphy was running three technique a lot, especially against passing teams like Arizona. I mean, a 260-pound three technique, trust me, Danton Lynn did not want to have a 260-pound three technique. And even a 265-pound uh, five technique and Leo Lotelatu. I mean, these are guys that are pretty much undersized. He was still able to get a really good pass rush. He did move guys around a little bit in that two, four, five. They'll usually have a three technique and they'll have somebody in the two eye. So that's a little bit of an interesting uh, wrinkle there that you see with McDonald. He used that also at Michigan and he's brought that to the NFL. McDonald's actually run more of that 245, 425, however you want to call it, that nickel set uh, with his defense more with the NFL than a lot of other defensive coordinators in the NFL. That's just something that has actually made its way from college into the NFL. So dynamically, just with the philosophy and the scheme, this is not Dick LeBeau's 3-4. I, I guess maybe if for the old school football fans out there that remember the Steelers, this is not your traditional two-gap 3-4 defense, but you will see them against teams that have 11 personnel and 12 personnel, and we saw this with Lynn last year at UCLA against Utah, against uh, Oregon State. You watch those games, you see them run a lot of three-down linemen with two outside linebackers, and that is just crowding the line of scrimmage a lot more than we've seen with Alex Grinch, even going back previously with some of the other defensive coordinators like Todd Orlando. There are a lot of times where you'd get maybe six in the box, sometimes only five in the box. And teams would run against that. And teams are going to run against that. So this is a scheme which is much more aggressive. Dantelin is not quite the blitzing mullet that uh, Wink Martindale is. But I think even on the back end, you see a lot of man free. You see a lot of uh, two under. Uh, they will run some cover four there. I haven't seen that very much. McDonald really likes to run a lot of cover three. And I didn't see that a lot from Lynn. So I think maybe you see a little more of that. Certainly, you're going to in terms of coverage and what you do blitz wise going to be dictated by your personnel and that's you know another aspect of this 
that when we talk about recruiting, we talk about the players that are currently on the roster that you can use. The one big critical piece that's well, that, missing for this just, defense is going to be nose tackle. I was just going to say to help you lead it in when you see what he did at UCLA with the players that he inherited. Obviously, he inherited a couple really good players, Leilatu, uh, a.k.a. The, the, the deep, dark love of Clay Helton's life. People forget that he was, in fact, the deep, dark love. And maybe that, you know, him being, you know, on pace to be a first round pick, maybe maybe we should have listened to Clay when he called him the deep, dark love because he obviously saw something that maybe not a lot of people saw. But when you look at US, UCLA's roster from last season and you look at USC's, I guess, what you project, sort of what pieces they will return for 2024, are they in a worse spot, better spot, I guess a better spot in some aspects to what UCLA had in 2023? Yeah, a little bit of both. You don't have the nose tackle Jay Toya. So that's an issue. Bear Alexander is probably not going to play that position Bear Alexander in this defense is probably going to be more of a three technique. That's really kind of seems where he's been the best for USC this past season. And I think in this type of defense, he could do well. He could probably do better in this defense than actual rule four three, where you're going to have him one gap all the time and just basically be a pass rusher. He doesn't have the prototypical height and length of a three technique in that type of defense. But this type of defense where you get some heavy techniques where maybe they'll line you up over alignment and it looks like two gap, but he's actually reaching inside to another gap assignment. Uh, I think projecting wise, they don't have the nose tackle to make this really good, in my opinion. Now, again, Danton Lynn did more with less at UCLA, so there's always that probability, but they had a lot of edge rushers at UCLA. They got a lot of edge rushers at USC. I say said nose tackle, and that's sort of like, you know, fill in the blank. Who is that going to be with Bear Alexander's a three technique? Uh, probably Elijah Hughes is kind of looking to me as another guy that at the end is a five technique might be in the best position to actually start next year. You do have Anthony Lucas there at yeah, 260, yeah. maybe 265. He's obviously dropped a lot of weight over the course of the year to be a rush end. That experiment, I think, is dead, and you should either put weight on him, have him be 275, 280, playing as a five-technique defensive end. Uh, there is the possibility at 265 he plays as an outside linebacker. I just don't know if he has the athleticism and the quick twitch to be able to get back and potentially play in the flat and play in the curl. There are guys like Aiden Hutchinson who did it, but, you know, Agent Hutch Aiden Hutchinson uh, out of Michigan was a first-round draft pick. He was an All-American. He was a high-level athlete and player. So it's not uncommon to see 265 playing at outside linebacker. I mean, that's one of the reasons why this is a scheme which demands bigger players because both your outside linebackers, one's going to be in that 265 range. Could he be even bigger? Uh, and the other is going to be about 250, and that's going to be more of your rush end. And so those are both going to be stand-up, out-of-the-two-point stance, uh, linebackers, and guys that are usually getting upfield, mostly. In this type of defense, a lot of your pressure is coming off the edge from those linebackers, and then your interior uh, 
penetration tends to come from a blitzing middle linebacker. Your defensive line is a bit more of a shield. Uh, and and it kind of goes back to where you start talking to gap, but not necessarily always to gap. Um, it's sort of the, your defensive line is the shield and your linebackers are the sword. And it's particularly your inside linebackers. So you're punching with your shield, but you're stabbing with the sword. And so this is where, you know, the, the tight front comes in because it's similar where a lot of your plays in the offensive backfield are going to come from your middle linebackers. And you are going to blitz your middle linebackers almost every play. That's just kind of part of how it is. And when you go to that two, four, five, you're going to see that even more. That's more consistent with uh, going into that nickel set where you've only got four on the line, you're taking one of those defensive linemen out of the game. That means you are locking another body on the defensive line. And so that's where you tend to see them want to bring an inside linebacker pressure of some sort. So, you know, from that standpoint, uh, I, I see the defensive line sort of, if they can get that guy through the transfer portal, that can come in and, and play that nose tackle. And then at the end, you do have Braylon Shelby, who we saw a lot at the end of the season, and I think he's still a star in the making. Uh, and on the other side, maybe Jamil Muhammad. Jamil Muhammad's a little short, a little um, compact. Stocky. This, yeah, a little, little, not stocky. Stocky's not a problem. It's just short. It's it's not having long arms to play at the line of scrimmage in this type of defense. Uh, but UCLA, going back and watching Lynn's defense, they did have Carl Jones sometimes playing at a five technique uh, as a stand-up outside linebacker. He's 6'2", 230. So, uh, again, you know, DeAnton Lynn, and, and this is where you also see, you know, the comparison to maybe hiring a Jim Leonard. DeAnton Lynn has done it with less. You know, he did – he you know, UCLA, all kinds of top ranks with pass efficiency defense, with rush defense. I mean, I think they were number one in the nation – Rush defense, or they were I don't know where they ended up, but they, they were, were they second were, at the time he was hired, but I think they were one at some point. So. Yeah. So I mean, we're talking about some very, very impressive rankings, but you also are not playing LSU, Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin. You know, next year's uh schedule is going to be very difficult. And so you're going to need those bigger players, you're going to make it look closer to what it's supposed to look like ideally if you're going to be successful against all those teams and so there is going to be that transition period we'll see what usc can get on the defensive line but running this scheme is basically doubling down on your personnel and saying yes we we have to get bigger we have to get bigger there there could have gone other ways to try to mitigate the lack of size up front but you know, ultimately, against that schedule, you're just prolonging the 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 failure of the defense because it's not ever going to be really good in that situation. And, and people will argue, well, it doesn't need to be really good. The defense doesn't need to be great. The offense can score, yada, yada, yada. This is a little more of, hey, we actually want to get a defense that can be competitive with our offense. We actually want to get a great defense. This is what this hire is. This is a little more going for broke than potentially a Tony White who's running a 3-3-5, which going back to what I said earlier in terms of philosophical roots, is a defense about not having to have a bunch of big defensive linemen. So, you know, if you're running even a stack, which 
going to Tony Gibson, who was another potential candidate. He ran that at West Virginia. He runs that at NC State. That's a very two-gap sort of just smaller defensive lineman taking up space and hoping that your linebackers can can get in there and can make some tackles. Uh, So you could have gone with those different kinds of schemes, which were built to sort of help you along. But this is USC. And you want to play in the college football playoff and you want to win games in the college football playoff and get to the national championship, you do have to play big boy football. You you can't keep putting it off and hoping, well, you're just going to outscore teams. We don't we only need to get marginally better defensively. Uh, our, our offense is going to be able to put up enough points that it's not that big a deal here. You're saying, no, we want to get better defensively. We want to have a great defense. If we can put together a great defense, we will go out there and try to put together a great defense. So now it's just a matter of getting that personnel that works with it, uh, that can actually make it run uh, efficiently. Can I read you a couple quotes in terms of what you were kind of hitting on those bigger, getting the need to get bigger, especially on the defensive front. Lincoln Riley spoke to the media on Monday, Monday morning, and he was asked about, you know, philosophical changes with, USC's defense, specifically their front. He had noted, you know, that size was one of his non-negotiables for looking for a defensive coordinator. He was asked to follow up on that. And he said, quote, philosophical changes, there'll be a lot. This is a very different system than what we were running previously. This is a system, as I started diving into it, not just necessarily with Coach Lynn, but with other candidates, there were a few non-negotiables, at least on my part a few things that were really, really important, and then they matched up with Coach Lynn, especially with the defensive front, especially in terms of the evaluation and development of size on the defensive front and how we want to play there. There were a few things that were really important to me, and Coach Lynn's system certainly fits that. Not just fits that, it excels with that. And then Benny Wiley, the strength and conditioning coach, was asked on Trojans Live about this new philosophy in terms of you know where they're going to the Big Ten and prioritizing getting bigger on the defensive front. He says, our guys just have to eat. In the world of where we're coming in, excuse me, in the world of where we were coming in, we could we could say, well, I want to be fast. I want to be light. I want to be lean. And that's just not what we're doing and where we're going. So there's no option. We have a ton of teams that are already in the Big Ten that are big and fast. So we can do the same thing. It's not optional. It's not negotiable. You don't get an opinion. You get to lift. You get to eat. And that's it. And he also had a great quote calling it the we know where we're going. We're going to the Big Ten, not the medium 10. Gerard, just any reaction to those quotes that were said this week, which I know have a lot of Peristylers and USC fans happy that they're going to emphasize getting big on the defensive front. Yeah, they have to. They have no choice. And it's something that you wish would have been embraced earlier. And I'm sure it's easy to say, well, Alex Grinch wanted this. And philosophically, this is what Alex Grinch wanted. I don't know if that's necessarily totally true. I'm sure it's partially true. But nevertheless, water under the bridge going forward with this scheme. And I think just in general for USC – Yes, you you do need to get bigger. You got to get stronger. There are certain stress points on the defense. And again, this is where a guy like Anthony Lucas comes in, where you just got to come to Jesus and say, listen, 
you can keep trying to be Lawrence Taylor or whoever on the end as a 250, 260-pound uh two-point stance outside linebacker, or you can embrace your inner Bubba and put your hand on the ground and be a guy that could be a really, really good five technique. Uh, you can be mediocre outside linebacker. Or you could be a great five technique is basically the sell there. And I think there are those type of players that you bring into the program, which, you know, a lot of guys, they want to drop weight and they want to get faster. And they have these ideas of how much faster they can get. And for so many of them, it just doesn't come to fruition. They just don't get a whole lot faster. So you're losing 20 pounds to go from running a 4.98 to a 4.94 or a 4.92 even. That's just not enough, man. Unless you're going to be able to run, you know, four seven sub four seven, that's just not worth it. So I think for USC, that's going to be something from an evaluation standpoint. We're going to have to see how some of these players are maneuvered uh, during the offseason, how the roster itself is looked at and evaluated by Dance and Lynn. And if you see some moves to where guys are bulking up and they're moved to defensive line because they're just not necessarily an it factor on the edge. You need to got, have some guys that are itch, it factors on the edge, guys that can make big plays, that are fast, that can run plays down from the backside. Um, it's not going to be, again, as much about dropping guys into coverage as you saw with Alex Grinch, but nevertheless, you want to have some versatility where you can get a guy uh, into the flat or get a guy into the curl. You're going to have uh, the guys that are like Porter Gustin when uh, USC had that defense in 2016. And that's a good example of a defense, which, you know, that worked because you had the right personnel and it was used properly. You had Stevie um, Tui Koloval. You had uh, Rasheem Green at the three technique defensive tackle. And then at the end, you had Yuchenda Nwusu at one end and you had Port Augustine at another end. You had Port Augustine at like 270 playing an outside linebacker spot. And so, you know, those are the type of guys that you need to have. And even with Gustin, he was probably a little more defensive lineman than he was linebacker, even though he played linebacker in high school. He played middle linebacker in high school. So he was coming from linebacker, but he was a bit stiff. And it's hard to get him out there and, and, and playing in the flats and doing anything away from the line of scrimmage. But that's where you look at the personnel that you have and you say, okay, that's working, but you have those guys in the middle. USC has to get somebody that goes along with Bear Alexander and, and, and presumably try to get some depth even behind Bear Alexander, which they really don't have. I mean, you do have uh, Dejan Lafitte, who's a good 6'4", 305 pounds. He's a guy that can continue to be that probably that oh, go to that 315 range. I think he would still play very much to, to, to the style and the ability he has in terms of agility and quickness. Again, one of those things where you've got to evaluate your players and say, okay, this guy can get this much bigger and retain enough of his speed, enough of his agility that with that, that extra weight and that extra power, he's still going to be able to maneuver and do the things that we want. So it, that's all plus for you defensively. Instead of looking at the player and going, well, he's 305 pounds right now. You know, let's see if he drops 25 pounds and he can, you know, drop like from a from a five flat to run in a four seven. And it's just nine times out of ten that's not going to be the case. You're not going to see that big jump in speed. Speed sometimes is just an eight. It's just a natural ability that you have or you don't have. But some guys have a natural ability to be a lot quicker and a lot more agile with more weight. 
they they have that ability that there's something that they they can carry more weight with their frame. I don't know if it's distribution, if it's balance. There's something to that where you can keep putting weight on them and they just don't get a lot slower. And that's the direction you want to go with those type of players on the defensive line. That's what you want. You want those guys that can gain the weight because they have to have the weight, but they can maintain some of their agility. I mean, you look across on the other side of the football, you're doing the same thing. You go get some kid like Chad Wheeler out of high school when he's 255 you got to put more weight on him. You can't say, well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to have a 255-pound offensive tackle, and he's going to be lighter and quicker than everybody. So we're going to have the quickest offensive line in the nation. That's going to be our thing. We're going to pull guys. We're going to do all kinds of little stunts and things like that. And we're just going to, yeah, we're going to get out there. We're just going to shove them a little bit out of the way, but we'll create these lanes. And yeah, it'll work out. No, it's not going to work out. Of course not. You can't have 250-pound offensive linemen uh, against the power five schools that have 300-pound defensive linemen. Just the way the game is set up and the rules of the game, the things you have to do, you have to anchor on the offensive line. So those guys, inevitably, they don't have a choice They have to get bigger, but you want the guys that get bigger and can put on 50 pounds in college like Chad Wheeler did and still maintain a bunch of his agility and a bunch of his speed. You know, how much uh, slower did Chad Wheeler get? How much agility did he lose gaining all that weight? I tell you, it'd be surprising that probably not as much as you would think. With some guys, it would be like, oh, my gosh, he can't run at all. But that's what you're looking for. You're looking for those guys that from a frame standpoint, from a strength standpoint, you build that muscle on them, you build that extra weight, and they're able to maintain it, and they're able to achieve those standards of what you need from a speed and agility standpoint at that particular position. As Sean Nua famously said this season, big people beat up little people, and that is the essence of football. Gerard, just a quick little question. In all of your time studying Lynn's scheme from UCLA last season, how many times did he make Latu a cornerback? Not very often. There were instances where they would peel their defensive linemen. They even peeled some guys that were interior. There was one play, uh, I think it was against Utah, where I saw one of their – their defensive tackles, one of the 300-pound guys, uh, jumped back into coverage. And it didn't look good. It wasn't uh, it wasn't the best look. I, he didn't really cover anybody. And it did remind me of Alex Grinch a little bit. Um, that's, you know, a wrinkle that defensive coordinators are going to use in certain situations. My thing is, with doing that, you know, what's the upside there? You know, are you going to actually get a, a pick out of it? And nine times out of ten, those big defensive linemen aren't going to be able to catch the ball uh, they may be able to knock down a pass, but they could knock down a pass at the line of scrimmage as well. So, yeah, I did see that once, and I was kind of cringing a little bit at it, but didn't see it a whole lot with his ends. Again, with this defense, there's just a lot more aggression. You know, it's coming from, again, the blitzing mullet and Rex Ryan and those guys, hybrid or not, uh, it is about getting – upfield with 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 players and that's really where the difference is a little bit with uh the four three and the three four going back old school where you know your defensive line with a traditional three four is two gaps so they're space eaters or guys just kind of standing in the gap basically 
Uh, with this, you're getting more variance. And so you're going to have those instances where you do need to have your interior guys, particularly your nose tackle, your defensive tackle, be able to have some type of gap control and gap integrity. But at the same time, your ends are going to be nine times out of 10 just getting upfield, uh, trying to what they would call um, – attack the run on the way to the passer is basically the mentality that you have. It's uh, you're going after it. Like it's a run play every time. And then you read, Oh, it's not a run play. Okay. I'm, I'm running that away. Anyways, let me go sack the quarterback. Now that's sort of more the mentality that you have on the end. Kind of one of my final just questions because he's so unique. What I know we haven't obviously got to talk to learn about this or ask him about it, but, is there sort of a role, having watched his defense, you have in mind for a guy like Eric Gentry, six foot seven Eric Gentry? Yeah, that's that's the tough one because there's not a whole lot of six six, two hundred ten pound linebackers in this type of scheme. They just don't exist, and so you do wonder if there's a wrinkle there. And one aspect, and we really didn't talk much about the back end of the scheme. And DeAnton Lynn is a safeties coach by trade. One vulnerability, and we're going to talk about kind of the other side of the coin with this scheme, is at the the hashes. You really can try to attack the outside with this scheme, uh, mainly because, again, you've got those bigger outside linebacker types and you've got two inside linebackers who – predominantly are looking north and south. They are thumpers and they want to get upfield and they want to attack. So you can take advantage a bit with the RPO and getting the ball outside. That's a little bit what Arizona did. Uh, the game against Arizona was was a pretty hard-fought game. I think it went into the fourth quarter. It was like 17-10. And so a lot of people say, oh, you know, Arizona, that was a game where the defense got smoked and they didn't get smoked at all. Uh, But nevertheless, you see where Arizona, what they did really well, it wasn't even getting out to the hash marks so well that was really hurting UCLA. It was uh, setting up the run with the pass and getting into pass formations, which Arizona has plenty of, and actually running the ball out of that and running against that nickel two, four, five and getting those run lanes and being able, you know, on, on a, on a, second and eight, you know, getting 14 yards here and there, they gashed them a little bit with the run. And so uh, from that standpoint, that's a little bit of a vulnerable area uh, for the defense. And I think the hashes are a vulnerable part for the defense. And where it came uh, to a head for UCLA was not having a safety that was a true star back. Uh, The star back is a evolution of the safety position, the three safeties that you have on the field for a lot of the game these days, you know, because you have more passing and you see more RPO, you see a lot of defenses where their base defense is just three uh, safeties, a nickel back, a nickel safety, whatever you want to call him. And then your two strong uh, free safeties, you know, sometimes that's different just depending on the defense, but a lot of defenses, you look at Jimmy Lake, his base defense was absolutely a nickel. It was a two, four, five, four, two, five, however you want to coin it, but it was a nickel was his base. Dantelin is not really a nickel base because like I said before, against the Oregon state, which will run 11 personnel or Utah. 
I mean, those are run-oriented teams, but they're not Michigan run-oriented. You know, they're not like, okay, this is a running team. And you saw 3-4 a lot of the time. But when you do go to that nickel and you do only have four down at the at the, at the line of scrimmage uh, and, they, and they attack those hashes, this defense, just like the tight front, it's really much more efficient if you've got the star back that can tackle in space. And now this is different for different coaches, you know, with – Jimmy Lake, who didn't run three, four base to completely different school of thought, comes from the Tampa two, which is where Pete Carroll came from. Monty Kiffin, uh, he liked actually smaller, more agile safeties to run at the line of scrimmage. His third safety was Bubba Baker, who was like five, 10, 185 pounds. And they used bigger guys in the, in the past, but he was quoted as saying, you know, we've really found that. It's the guys that are that are quick, that are fast, and they are physical, but they're agile and they can make good tackles in the open field out on the hash against those screen plays, against those little bubble plays, whatever it is where you're trying to get out there on the hash and the RPO with the quick uh, screen game. These guys can get around these blocks and they can make these tackles in the open field. With DeAnton Lynn's scheme, and when you look at Mike McDonald, at Michigan, and you look at some of those other uh, teams in the past that have used those nickel sets, they want a bigger safety. It's actually actually a guy that's uh, a safety that's bulked up in college and gotten to that like 220, 225 range. So that's a guy that UCLA did not have. In fact, UCLA, just in their back end, pretty mediocre. Not a lot of talent, safeties, not great. Um, again, doing more with less. They did have uh, and still have um, Devin Kirkwood, uh, Mr. 96%, 98 percent, 99% oh, come on. to oh, USC, come on. Uh, if you guys remember that. Um, Dude, I get credit if he, like, transfers. transfers. <laughs> if he ever transfers, do I get the credit? He could. I mean, it's interesting because there is some uh, USC in his family and – there's a lot kind of going on uh, from that standpoint. And for a certain point in time, it looked like he was headed to USC out of uh, Inglewood High School. Hence uh, or was he my Sarah? prediction, Sarah. Was, he Sarah. was he Sarah or Inglewood? Sarah. Sarah. Okay. I felt like he went to Inglewood for some reason for a while. Did he transfer to Sarah? Uh, I believe he was there the whole time. Okay. But All I right. could be wrong. 6'4", 195 pounds, 200 pounds. He's a bit of an outlier in that secondary for UCLA. I mean, just physically. Uh, the rest of the guys are just kind of guys, you know, they're not really like big. They're not really fast. And they did not have that third safety that could play around the line of scrimmage who was just a killer tackling. So that's going to be an interesting position. When I look at USC's roster, now I see a lot more optimism there of finding that type of player. I mean, I look at Jalen Smith and a lot of Trojan fans are going to roll their eyes and go, oh, Jalen Smith, he's too small. He doesn't tackle. He doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. Listen, erase. Everything you've seen from the majority of these players at USC the last couple of years, because I'm telling you, fundamentally, they just did not get the job done on any level. And that, to me, tells me that coaching is a big part of that. And so you look at UCLA and they tackled really well. I mean, they had really good tacklers uh, in the open field, whether it's the front or, or the back end. They just didn't really have the athletes that really USC does have 
in the back end. I mean, you can move Zion Branch up there if you really do want to get a bigger guy. Zion Branch can be 220 easy as a safety. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have some players there that you could put in on that position running that nickel set. And that may be something which USC is not as vulnerable and the hashes on the outside as maybe UCLA was last year. Again, my biggest issue, the biggest blank spot on the roster is finding that 320-pound, 315-pound nose tackle that can really control uh, the middle of that defense. If you can find that guy to uh, line up next to Bear Alexander then you know the, the, you start you start opening up things a little bit, and then and then the optimism is a little higher there. If you don't find that guy, then you're just kind of waiting for him to to come through the doors to see what this defense can really do. Gerard, I think it's time maybe to shift a little bit. Still talking about Lynn, but maybe shift a little bit to the recruiting aspect of it and the sort of initial reaction from. USC's 2024 class. You've been on a tear in getting several of USC's 2024 commitments, defensive commitments on the line to get their reaction to the hiring of Lynn. Obviously, it's a big deal for them. Lynn has already been on the uh, the road a little bit, went in home with Lincoln Riley and Marcellus Williams and his family. And then, as he mentioned on his presser, he's going out to Connecticut, presumably, obviously, to check out Elijah Newby. Their outside linebacker edge commitment out there who we really like, we think is a really talented athlete. So, Gerard, what did you learn or, or from, you know, talking to kids about this, uh, this Lynn hire? Yeah, Lynn got on the phone with Lincoln Riley the day of and talked to a lot of the committed class. And, you know, with most commits, they had not watched a lot of UCLA film. Didn't really know a lot about him other than, okay, we saw them play against USC and we saw how that defense looked against USC and talking to Lincoln Riley, just I think about the process of what they were looking for. They like that he's aggressive. They like that it's a system which is really about getting upfield and getting after the uh, quarterback. I think statistically it, it shows that. But not necessarily a lot of detail into, you mentioned Elijah Newby. There's a great example of a player where you're trying to find a position for him. You know, does he become sort of an Eric Gentry of sorts because he's played safety, he plays outside linebacker, he can be a rush end. He's about 210 pounds right now, so he's a little light to put up the line of scrimmage in this type of defense. This is the type of defense that, again, you're talking at, at minimum probably 240, 245 pounds as an outside linebacker that's on the defensive end. Anybody else, you're probably shifting to play more inside linebacker at like 225, 235, et cetera. Even then, you know, bigger bodies are, are really what you want. Uh, you do want speed, but this is sort of stop the run, get after the passer as you're stopping the run than it is we want, you know, quick, agile guys, and we're trying to maneuver a, a lot in space. So a guy like Elijah Newby is another potential star back that you could put out on the field if you want to get bigger at that position. Normally, it's a safety that has safety skills that comes from a safety defensive back background, which you're going to put weight on, and he plays that position. But with Eric Gentry and with an Elijah Newby, there's a player that has uncanny agility, uncanny, uncanny athleticism in space 
And it would be an interesting wrinkle to put that type of player out there. I, I just don't know in terms of what is required from a coverage standpoint, what you feel they can do. I mean, are you going to get them lined up against a slot receiver that's going to end up having to go deep without safety help? No. Well, if, if that's uh, the requirement <laughs> to play that position, then you can't have Eric Gentry out there. You can't have Elijah Newby out there, not unless it's like a goal line situation. Or maybe you're in the red zone, you could get away with it. But certainly you don't want to see situations where Braylon Shelby is covering a running back 30, 40 yards downfield man-to-man. That's always going to be a bad matchup for you. So you want to get out of those things. But Elijah Newby, talked to him. He didn't really know necessarily in terms of you know where they wanted him position-wise, but he was very excited, very fired up about the hire and thought that it was a good hire and he was, um, you know, still 100% committed to USC. Uh, Desmond Stevens, same thing. You know, he talked to D'Anton Lane. It was really just introductions and getting to know him. Um, he is slated to come in and play linebacker for USC. The biggest and most interesting aspect uh, from the conversation with him is him saying that he's up to six, three and a half, 225 pounds now. So we talked about him putting on weight. Well, he's put on weight. It's there. (laughs) It's already there. So now, you know, you're talking about maybe a guy that's 230, 235 by the time he suits up for his first college football game. So um, potentially a will linebacker, you know, now you see the height and the size that's already there. He could be a guy that ends up lining up and being your seven technique, uh, your true rush end in that type of defense, whether you're running – uh, the the three four set or you're running the two four five. He's a guy that has, you know, a, the ability to go back as a coverage type of player because that's where he comes from. Originally started playing cornerback and then moved to safety, and now he's going to play linebacker. So he has those skills, uh, but now you're putting that weight on him and he's getting that strength. That's just a very intriguing player. He's a guy that uh, we're very excited to see uh, the next couple years at USC. And USC's got to still battle uh, Michigan State a bit. But it sounds like he's pretty locked in for uh, USC. I mean, he even has his uh, his roommate already for January. Jarvis Boltwright, I spoke to him as well. Again, wants to see more film of his defense. He was actually looking it up on YouTube as we were texting back and forth. But safety's coach and uh, had a good conversation with him and said, you know, he's really excited uh, about uh, playing for DeAnton Lynn and just uh, the NFL pedigree he mentioned he was really excited about. And uh, haven't gotten a hold of Cameron Fountain yet, the 6'6", 245-pound uh, defensive end, Ed Rusher from Atlanta. Uh, called him a few times, texted him, haven't heard from him. Uh, I think it's more important. That, yeah, have board. you gotten in touch with his mom? That may be more important. <laughs> no, no. But we know what his mom has to say, so <laughs> I don't think it is that important. Cameron Fountain's going to be an interesting player, though. If USC is able to keep him committed – uh, he is a guy that in this system you could say could be more of a stand-up uh, rush end um, as opposed to Alex Grinch's system where I felt like, yeah, he needs to put on the weight and he needs to put his hand on the ground. In this type of defense, you can potentially put a guy like that on the edge. Again, I mentioned Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, there have been several players that have just been bigger uh, linebacker defensive end types, which you know, in some instances you say, well, that guy – uh, could put his hand on the ground in this defense and then other situations say, well, you know what? He's athletic enough and agile enough that he can play as a stand-up player and get off the line of scrimmage. So he's uh, there's a little more uh, versatility with him in this type of system, I think, 
than the past system. So uh, we'll see how that goes. And, you know, when we get a hold of him, uh, we'll talk to him and see if he has anything specific to say about the defense. In general, the kids just they're not looking at film and, and video and pulling together all of this stuff and not asking those type of questions. You know, obviously, that's something that we do and we look at uh, this type of hire in the future just differently. I mean, you would assume, hey, you know, you're going to play in this defense. You want to know everything you can about it. But I think a lot of that's just going to come from over time, them talking to their high school coaches and their trainers, and they'll start to talk a little bit more about what they see. And it's not my job, right? My job as a reporter is not to give information. It's to get information. You know, I'm not here to say, well, listen, this is how he runs his defense. And this is what I saw from this particular player with the Ravens. Can you be this guy? You know, that kind of thing. That's just, it's not what I'm there to do. I'm not there to ask loaded questions about the defense. Um, so in general, you get sort of general vague uh, sort of answers about, Hey, you know, I just, I liked his personality. I like the potential and certainly, you know, Lincoln Riley's thrown the rankings out there and what he did at UCLA. And so, you know, kids like that in, in general, kids do like, attacking type of defenses and it doesn't really get more attacking than Rex Ryan. Yeah. And in terms of one other guy on this list, we're still trying to get a hold of Marcellus Williams. He's interesting because he's the only one of the defensive commitments that actually had a prior relationship with Lynn when UCLA was recruiting him, took an official visit to UCLA, haven't been able to get hold of him yet, but I have been talking uh, to his camp and they were very excited about Lynn coming over to UCLA. They really, really liked him at UCLA. One of the reasons, you know, UCLA and the Bruins were in it. Obviously, Marcellus Williams, the younger brother of Max Williams, felt like he was going to be a Trojan. That's, you know, the story was always going to be a Trojan. So now that he gets to be coached by Lynn, someone who did connect with at, uh, at UCLA, you know, they're very excited. You know, he's obviously a young coach. He's 34. You know, he can relate to kids. But what, what they told me is like he is young, but he doesn't carry himself as a young coach. So that is an interesting just just a little uh, little insight from from the Williams camp. And he does have that unique pers- perspective of having been the only defensive commit that actually had a relationship prior to him becoming the USC DC. Yeah, I do think that's interesting to know in terms of how he carries himself, because he comes off that way in the press conference, too. And I think that's just professional football. You know, when mm-hmm. you're around college football a lot, you're around younger kids, in particular with the recruiting process, you understand that, you know, kids are, are younger and there's lingo there. And there's been some criticism of that with USC in the past and how they've recruited, that there was a level of immaturity there. And I think with Lynn, he's just been around grown men for a long time and he's coming from a football family. So you're not going to see him you know, talk about shoes and talk about you know latest rap albums and things so much. He's probably going to be a little more business oriented and to the point about, hey, this is how I want to develop you as a football player to get to the level which I've seen. I I saw it up close. I coached a bunch of guys that were professionals, and this is how they act, and this is how they do things. You want to talk about shoes. You want to talk about video games and stuff. You can talk about that with your friends or whatever. Um, But, you know, you're here for that reason of getting to the NFL. I'm here for the reason of coaching you to get to the NFL. Yeah, that was – one answer that you probably heard it too in his presser where he wants to bring that level of professional because, you know, he has been in the NFL, coached in the NFL, been around NFL players. He knows what it looks like. He knows what it's like. So he kind of mentioned, you know, 
you know, my goal is to obviously win games, but the also the other goal is to get these guys ready for the next level. That that was a direct quote. Get these guys ready for the next level. So he's bringing that NFL approach to the college game, and I'm sure, as you have mentioned several times, Gerard, yeah, NAL is nice, education is nice, but for the most part, kids want to make the NFL, even though it is a very minuscule amount of kids that actually make it to the NFL. If you can put kids in the NFL, you're going to do great on the recruiting trail. So that is one aspect I found interesting in one of his answers. Let's pivot now out of the commitments and talk about some of the guys that landed those commitments, and that would be USC's current interim defensive coaching staff. You know, when Lynn came aboard UCLA, that defensive coaching staff was for the most part in place. Will that be the case for USC and his coaching staff with the Trojans? So that has been sort of now the number one topic now that Lynn has been hired is like what coaching changes are going to happen, if any, for USC with Dante Williams, Sean Nua, Roy Manning, Brian Odom. I would say the majority USC fans of USC fans, especially the Paris style, just want the the clean slate, Gerard. They just want axe everyone, move on, clean slate, let Lynn hire he wants to hire or Riley bring in along with that. So that's what's going on right now. Now that Lynn's hired, it's like who is going to be working under him? And it's an interesting question, and he was asked about it in the presser, but he said he really hasn't had the opportunity to think about that. He's not really thinking about that right now. He's focused on recruiting. He hasn't even met everyone. You know, he hasn't met all the coaches, and that's something he has to to do. You know, do your due diligence, sit down with these coaches, meet with them, talk with them, get to know them, see if you click. You have to go through that process first before you can make any decisions if you're going to keep someone or fire somebody. So that's kind of where he is right now, and that's not something uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? Uh a priority on his on his radar right now because there still is time. And those guys are still working towards getting the team ready for the Holiday Bowl in several weeks. Yeah, and it's been interesting because that quote talking about not meeting any of or all of the defensive staff right now was immediately taken as the defensive staff's all coming back. <laughs> that, that That's one of the reasons why Lincoln Riley decided to hire DeAnton Lynn because it came with, the catch that you couldn't fire any of the defensive coaches, which I don't think that really translates. I think it's literally the truth that he just hasn't sat down and talked with any of the defensive staff. And really that's probably more coach speak from the standpoint of these guys are going to be here. They're going to coach in the bowl game. I'm not coaching the bowl game. And that was another thing that came up where people were like, well, why not just get them out there, get them started Listen, this this scheme, it's going to take some time. It's different than what USC has run. And again, I don't see personnel-wise where it's going to be run effectively with the current roster as it sits today. So why set yourself up for failure? Why go out there against a very good Louisville team and the defense looks like dog water? Just there's not there's not a lot to be gained for the Lynn, and there's really not a lot to be gained uh, for the players, I think. I mean, you're saying, well, let's get this started. Yeah, that's that's to- the argument for the Peristyles. Like, the defense has been dog water all year. Who cares if it's dog water in the bowl game? 
at least let Lynn get a jump start and use these 15 practices to jump start implementing his scheme. I think that's their argument. Yeah, and I see from the evaluation standpoint, it could be somewhat beneficial. You know, you get guys in your scheme and you see what they can do at various positions, but you're talking about 15 practices, man. Like it's really half-assed. I don't know if you're going to get a clear indication of what's going to happen. And of course, the counter argument to that is, well, spring ball is only 15 practices, but you have all those meetings, you have weight room, you have everything that goes up to that, or at least on paper, you can start trying to work for something when you get on the field for spring football. Whereas there's really not a lot of time with the turnaround to get any of that done from a meeting standpoint. And again, it's an interim staff. Some of these guys, some of these coaches may not even really understand your scheme. So you're not, you're trying to coach your coaches in order to coach your team for 15 practices. I think it's just tough. I think it doesn't necessarily uh, give enough uh, for the players that are coming back and for Lynn to try to do it when, um, you can focus more on recruiting and getting on the road and, and doing those things and, and also potentially interviewing other candidates because Lynn's been around, you know, he's got his dad there that'd been in the league for a long time, even as a head coach. Uh, and he's been in the league himself. You know, there's some names out there that I'm sure he's thinking, Hey, you know, these, these be some guys would be some killer coaches at the college level and may want to go out and, and talk with these guys and meet with them uh, with Lincoln Riley uh, while, you know, practices are going on. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think, again, one of those things when you're setting yourself up for failure and you can say, well, the defense has sucked the whole year, so who cares if it sucks against uh, Louisville? It's just then everybody's going to be like, oh, my God, we made such a bad hire. I can't believe how bad we played. Right, and, those and, same people will be saying that same thing. Yeah, and, which it's, is so, the irony. it's one of those things like the, the crux of it is – how much do the returning players really get out of it? The guys like Braylon Shelby, you know, playing in a different system, different scheme, terminology. But again, I mean, how much can you really teach? How much actual evaluation you get? Are you setting those players up for uh, failure in that situation? Because their position coaches maybe don't completely understand the concepts and everything that you're trying to teach. And now you've got a tainted evaluation of a player because he's being coached semi half the way that you really want him to be coached. So yeah, I, I think uh, everybody's going to be playing slower. It's spring ball is totally different. You're not going out there to go play against a team that's in the top 25 that's ranked that, that boat raced Notre Dame, a team that you lost to and got crushed by. So, yeah, I see the reasoning why you just don't want to involve Lynn in that right now. Finish the season off how you're going to finish it off. He's going to get out there. I'm sure he's going to see some practices. He'll be able to just gauge athletically what some of these guys do at practice. That'll be good for them. Uh, But in terms of, like, the actual scheme and fit and all that stuff, I think that needs to be more on paper in his head until he gets out there for spring football. Do you still steal? Do you still feel confident that there will be at least one retention on the staff just for that continuity? I'm still on the boat that there will be at least one, and I'm still circling a Roy Manning for that. Um, potentially, I don't know. I mean, I'm on the fence about it because I do see if he can get a bunch of coaches that he's comfortable with that know his scheme, get some experience there. You know, even find some guys that even maybe have more experience 
that he does in the scheme, you know, some old codgers that maybe know his dad or something, and you're able to get a steal of a guy. Now, those type of players, or those type of coaches, I should say, from the NFL are not going to be dynamic recruiters. So there's yeah. always that balance a little bit when you're bringing guys in from the NFL that are older, more experienced guys. But sometimes those guys can go a long way, man. Sometimes those guys like a Larry Smith, who Pete Carroll brought in as an offensive coordinator in that 2004 uh, year where you're making Lane Kiffin the offensive coordinator, Norm Chow has moved on and they bring in Larry Smith and nobody really knew Larry Smith other than he'd been in the NFL for 34 years as a quarterback coach. <laughs> and it was like, he was like this real sort of uh, kind of, uh, he was a ringer of sorts, you know, on the, on the staff. And you see that usually with the analysts. And so, you know, Dennis Thurman's name even comes up because Dennis Thurman actually was a defensive coordinator under Rick Ryan when uh, D'Anton Lynn, I think was a player. And then he turned around and was an intern and then ended up being an assistant secondary coach uh, with the bills. So, you know, Dennis Thurman right now is a control analyst for Colorado. So that's a role where, you know, he's not really recruiting. He's not really going to have a lot to do with recruits unless they're coming in for official visits, but we've seen the support staffs extend and expand over the years and that's where you can kind of tuck somebody away that maybe has a lot of NFL experience, can help run your meetings, and can help coach up your coaches. Because that's what Nick Saban has been doing for years. That's what uh, Dabble Sweeney was doing for years. Like all these schools, they get guys that have a lot of experience, and they're just on the analyst staff because they don't need to go out there and recruit. I mean, shoot, Clancy Pendergast right now is on the analyst staff for UCLA. That's a great position for him. You don't want Clancy Pendergast on your full-time staff <laughs> having to go out and recruit. He doesn't recruit. He doesn't want to do it. It's not his thing. But you can bring him in, and he could be a part of some meeting that you have for official visits, whatever. That's fine. And he is a guy with a ton of experience. Clancy Pendergast has seen a ton of defenses. He's run four threes. He's run three fours. He coached in the Super Bowl. I mean, come on. That's great experience. So there's Are you saying Clancy time. Pendergast is coming back? Is that what you're, you're saying? No, but Ken Norton Jr., maybe. We'll see what happens with that. Uh, Kenny, the the old uh, SC linebacker coach. I think UCLA right now is scrambling probably to keep some type of continuity, which uh, might mean they end up uh, giving maybe Ken Norton the job. I mean, he was defense coordinator in the NFL with the Raiders and the Seahawks, so there's potential that he ends up being the guy that they go after. But that that's going to be interesting, too, because people look over at the UCLA staff and say, okay, who does DeAnton Lynn have a relationship with? Who did he help hire? Who did he bring in? The thing is, there was quite a few coaches there that remained there. Uh, I think Brian Norwood was a guy that was already there when DeAnton Lynn came in, and he was a co-coordinator, I think, at one point for UCLA. He is a, a sleeper of a coach there because I, I saw improvement from UCLA when he got there initially. Even though they weren't like what DeAnton Lynn had done, I saw a lot of improvement from them uh, just initially defensively, even with Norwood coming in. So, you know, he's another guy that, again, you have to look at from a recruiting standpoint. There's certain position coaches that have to be your elite recruiters. And currently, USC has a real sort of mixed bag when it comes to recruiters. Now you can mention NIL is a factor into that when you're talking about high school football recruiting, and that's a rabbit hole we're not going to go into, but that is something that USC has to figure out as well. But we know that you know they made a play out of uh, on Elijah Robinson, the interim head coach at Texas A&M, who was a co-coordinator there with DJ Durkin for a while. And then they brought in Mike Elko. And 
A&M was doing everything they could possibly do to keep Elijah Robinson because they knew there was a good $60 million of NIL that was potentially going to end up getting away with transfers and decommitments if he left. Well, turns out, and and it, this, this, it's, it's not a good look right now at Texas A&M. They're, they're freaking out a bit at College Station. Elijah Robinson ends up taking the coordinator job with his old friend, Fran Brown, at Syracuse. And that was a potential cool coordinator situation that we had talked about uh, on the site a little bit. If USC was to make that move, they could go after Fran Brown as a secondary coordinator and then Elijah Robinson as a run game defensive line coordinator. And that was a potential move. Now, would that have worked if Fran Brown was then offered the job by Syracuse's head coach? I think Fran wanted to be a head coach. So uh, it might have fallen through like a Cliff Kingsbury type of situation if USC would have made that move. Uh, but nevertheless, they did try to go after Elijah Robinson. Uh, didn't work, but there's definitely some money there. And they know that that's a position where you're going to have to have an elite type recruiter because you are at the high school ranks, at least, going to probably have to go outside the region to grab those big 6'4", 320-pound defensive tackles in order to really make this scheme shine. This is this is going to be just one of those things that you got to take your medicine. You got to go find that guy. And if you can't find him out of the high school ranks, you better find him in the portal. So that's going to be uh, one of those things that we can see happening right now in front of us. And USC has got to kind of hit that home run and find that guy potentially maybe a couple of those guys or three of those guys. I don't know if there's just one guy because from a depth standpoint, uh, USC just really doesn't have a lot of 300 pounders on their roster. Before we move on, any good Ken Norton stories? Um, no, not off the top of my head. Nothing that I would want to share. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's stuff. There's stuff. Uh, that, that's fine. You can just leave it at that. Kenny, uh, we had a, there was one instance where USC had a camp and it's just a funny thing because it was an issue where they were trying to get this kid who was a cornerback out of John Curtis high school. His name was Robbie Green and USC, I, I believe had already recruited Joe McKnight. And this was like maybe the year after. So they got Joe McKnight committed on campus and they're feeling themselves. So they're going down to Louisiana and they're starting to recruit Louisiana. And they had a lot of traction with this kid, Robbie Green. And he was a cornerback. And they could not get him in for the Rising Stars camp. So they decided, we're going to have another camp. We're going to have a last-minute camp. It was like the day before the Is that what they called it, the last-minute camp? That's what I called it, but the coaches were kind of like, yeah, that's what it is. And so they started kind of scrambling and, and, and getting a bunch of, like, the underclassmen guys but really, we joked, Ken Norton and I, that this was the Robbie Green camp because they had Robbie Green coming in. And so it was like all hands on that because it's like they had Robbie Green coming in. And so Robbie gets to campus, I think a day earlier, takes his unofficial visit and everything. And they're like, OK, we're, we're going to we're going to get you to run like we're going to you know, have you at the camp. And he's like, oh, no, I'm cool, coach. I, I'm not going to camp. And Kenny's like, no, you're going to camp. He's like, you're going to camp. And there was like some back and forth. And his mom was like, oh, no. So they got him some cleats. They borrowed some cleats. And they're like, here, go ahead and run. And so it was like a really awkward thing. But he was like one of the only guys that was running. 
and he ran like a four seven eight or something hand time. And he was only like six foot, 150 pounds. He was not a big cornerback. And I just remember the look on Sark and Kenny's face when he ran. Because I'm just there taking photos and I'm watching this 40 and I'm going, this does not feel fast. And then I look at their their faces as they're clocking it and they <laughs> looked at each other and I go, uh-oh, this one did not go well. And I looked at Kenny and I, and I gave him an eyes and go, no. Nope. No, no. He's walked by, <laughs> kept going, no, no, no. And he ran again, and he is like, yep, and that's the last we heard of Robbie Green. <laughs> Robbie Green was just got processed and ended up somewhere else. I don't know where, but, uh, yeah, can't can't run a 4-7 a as a cornerback hand time on a track. Um, and so, uh, actually, did they run on the track or did they run on the grass? Maybe they ran on the track, so he didn't need cleats or – Something they they he I think he needed cleats for the camp, but then he didn't want to camp and it was back and forth. And but they ended up getting him on the track to run, and yeah, it wasn't a great time. And that uh he went from being like, Oh man, they're gonna get another guy from John Curtis to who? So that's one thing that I remember off the top of my head. But um, yeah, we're gonna see what happens with this defensive staff. I tell you one thing, a little tidbit that we did get. Um, JP, five star only. Uh, you're, you're, you're running for the free pod. Oh, should I save this and not and not? I actually mentioned on the peristyle already, but we we did get some feedback from Dante Williams about uh, Danton Lynn and uh, his feelings on it. So we'll we'll save that for the war room. Okay, uh, and just an update: Robbie Green ended up going to Alabama, Gerard. Yeah, uh, how much did he play for Alabama? That I cannot answer. That I cannot. Answer. I can not very much. Okay. <laughs> Let's pivot into the final part of the first half of our show, which is kind of, not kind of, but new offers that have been thrown out this week. Because over the course of a week, USC has done a little bit of adding to the 2024 recruiting board. And then one interesting 2026 offer that we'll we'll run down these uh, briefly. But in the 2024 class, USC recently offered Portage, Michigan, three-star linebacker Jaden Walker, who is a Michigan State commit, and then Horston, I think I said that right, Georgia, four-star cornerback Trajan Greco, and then Garden Grove, local, Sarah, three-star wide receiver Zacharias Williams, who is committed to Utah currently. And then in the 2026 class, Lincoln Riley went out to see Folsom, California, 2026 quarterback Ryder Lyons, the younger brother of Walker Lions, who will be enrolling this summer. He was a 2023 signee that did his Mormon mission. Now a 2026 offer at the quarterback position. Very interesting, but not that interesting when you realize Ryder probably is going to follow in the footsteps of his older brother Walker and do his own Mormon mission, maybe an expedited one like Walker. So maybe this is more so a 2027 offer for Lincoln Riley with Ryder Lions, who is not ranked in the 2024 uh, rankings as a 2026. But just looking at these 2024 offers, Jaden Walker, as I mentioned, a six foot three, 210 pound linebacker prospect, the number one, 132 overall in the country, number 99 linebacker. And he's number 87 in the 24 seven sports rankings. Trajan, a consensus four-star prospect, number 215 in the country in our rankings and number 17 cornerback. 
Missouri seems to have the upper hand in his recruiter recruiting process right now. He was committed to Georgia Tech, took a visit to Missouri, and then decommitted shortly after. But USC trying to get in the mix there. And then Zach Williams, who I've seen on the uh, 7-on-7 circuit. He was at USC's Rising Stars camp, 6'2", 195 pounds. Had a had a pretty good season for Sarah, uh, close to a thousand yards, I believe, thirteen touchdowns, number seven forty four overall in the twenty four seven sports composite, number ninety nine wide receiver. Just in general, Gerard, a wide receiver offer this late is is very interesting to me. Yeah, but I think you know USC wanted to take three, and they put a lot of eggs in the Draylon Miller basket, a basket which they're still putting eggs into because they have. Uh, done an in-home visit with Draylon Miller. We put an update on the peristyle for that. So they're still trying to get Draylon Miller back on campus for an unofficial visit post his decommitment from Texas A&M. Texas A&M, though, is circling the wagons on Miller. And uh, after they lost uh, Cameron Coleman, their five-star wide receiver uh, from Alabama, I think they lost him to Auburn. So they're trying to get Draylon Miller back into the fold, but they still don't have an offensive coordinator at this point. And uh, the staff is still kind of uh, a mess. They they really thought that they were going to be able to keep Elijah Robinson. They would keep some of the defensive staff intact. I think they were trying to get the defensive coordinator from uh, Duke to come along with Elko, and that didn't happen. So it's a bit of a mess down there at Texas A&M. So USC is trying, like several other schools, to take advantage of that and get some of these Texas A&M kids on campus. We mentioned that in previous podcasts, some of these guys like Terry Busey, et cetera, where they're trying to uh, get um, potential flips, decommitments uh, from the staff. And I think with Robinson gone – uh, defensive line obviously becomes a priority on that front. But, yeah, with Zacharias Williams, I think that's backup plan for Draylon Miller for sure. Uh, local kid is committed to Utah, but they're going to probably try to work and get that visit. I don't know if that's going to happen this weekend or maybe the next weekend. The next weekend is kind of the bigger weekend, it seems, for high school kids. I think this weekend um, you're going to have maybe a couple kids from the high school ranks but they're trying to set up some things with the transfers because those are obviously guys that you yeah. want to get on campus as well. And that's going to go all the way up to the dead period. So yeah, there's a lot going to go on here in the next uh, few weeks. And um, the, the slowly, but surely the focus is going to start to become more about the transfers than even some of these plan B plan C guys on the high school trail. And just a little note, Jaden Walker, the guy I mentioned at the top, the six foot three, two hundred ten pound linebacker. Dred, I don't know if you got a chance to look at some of his film, but I suggest you watch it if you're just curious, because the first thing that jumps out is violence. This guy is a violent hitter, a violent linebacker. Looks like he would play more of a will kind of edge player. That's that's mainly where he's been playing in these clips I've been seeing. But there's one clip where he goes. Um, face-to-face in the hole with an offensive lineman and knocks his helmet clean off. So this guy uh, hits like a Mack truck. So, And he is in the process of setting up a USC visit. I put a story up this week. So we'll see if that ends up being locked in at some point. But he is in conversations with uh, Lynn and the coaching staff and is actually Danton Lynn's first offer as the USC DC. So he does have that distinction uh, to his name. Yeah, it's interesting um, that 
you know, Lynn has his evaluations that he did at UCLA and certain players that uh, he looked at and liked at UCLA. Um, that's going to be kind of a question like going forward in terms of numbers, in terms of the body types and, and what they're looking for. Certainly this is at the end of the cycle. So it's difficult to assess a whole lot. I mean, we haven't seen a bunch of nose tackle scholarship offers go out, but then again, you know, how many of those bodies are local? How many of those guys are you going to be able to get away from some of those SEC schools? Like all of that stuff is, is it's difficult. Your, your back is kind of against the wall. And there is that um, argument that maybe you have to go in the high school level and you just have to get those guys that are um, underrated kind of off the radar type of kids and build them up within your system. I mean, there are plenty of Polynesian players that you can find in Utah and California that can fit that bill. I mean, you look at Cal, Cal has had a pretty good defense and they run a lot of two gap with, uh, with Justin, um, Wilcox, yeah, blinked on his name there for a second. Uh, Justin you. Wilcox, and 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 so you know those those type of guys exist, but nine times out of ten you're going to have to find them at like maybe two seventy, two eighty, and then put that weight on them in the program. So that's going to be on strength and conditioning, uh, but that's down the line. You know, if you want to see uh, a competitive defense immediately and run this type of scheme, you're, you're going to have to go find that guy probably in uh, the portal and not, um, you know, grab some five-star guy. I mean, that's just not going to happen right now. That's not realistic. You're going to get some kid out of high school uh, that's going to be committed to Alabama, Georgia, or wherever, and, and he's the guy you're going to bring in that's uh, that's going to be the 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 gravitational point in the middle of that defense for you. Gerard, let's wrap up the first part of our show with just a sort of dive back into December official visitors. We kind of talked about this last week. With the uh, this kind of uh, not theme but uh, topic, one which one we'll keep adding to as we go through. You talked about uh, Zacharias Williams and the potential to get him on campus. I mentioned uh, Jaden Walker as a guy who's in the process of setting up an official visit, and then uh, three-star offensive tackle Kalolo Taaga, who we mentioned last week. He locked in his visit for this weekend. I know it was on the. Not on the fence, but it was being talked about. Pretty sure it was going to happen, but he has locked in an official visit for this coming weekend, the three-star offensive tackle that USC offered last week. So a little bit of uh, offensive line potential to add to the class down the line. Yeah, and another player that uh, a bit more of a project, and you know we'll see how that shakes out because – we're still kind of in that in that place of how does the development on the offensive line play out over the years? Because we've only got really, you know, two seasons now and really only one because it's only one season with the offensive line class that was actually recruited by Josh Henson and Lincoln Riley. So we're still at that point of, you know, seeing the development players, seeing the guys that were off the radar, that were three-star guys that weren't ranked really high, how they develop in the system. And any of those guys, you know, diamonds in the rough that ends up being stars. And Lonnie Noah started the first game of the season for USC this season and then kind of disappeared. So kind of hard to know, you know, what happened. He came in later there uh, in the season when they started shifting things around, like really late. But Riley did mention. Riley did mention that he was going through some personal stuff off the field with family. So okay. that, uh, yeah, 
so that 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 was something he mentioned late in the season. So I would assume it has something to do with that. So we'll see how Elijah Page develops. We'll we'll see, you know, Tobias Raymond and some of these guys because on the West Coast, I've said this before, when it comes to linemen, there's going to be more projection than with some other regions. You know, Midwest, down south, you're not going to see as many kids that are going to be undersized or underweight and you're going to have to develop them in your system. But as we've seen with the NFL – there are plenty of positions where the guys that are actually getting drafted are not your prototypical six, seven, 300 pound lineman. That is a finished product coming out of high school. It's these guys that are six, six, 250 pounds, 260 pounds, and you build them up within your system, which goes towards the emphasis and how important nutrition and strength and conditioning really are. If you are weak in those then you're not going to have great player development regardless of what good coaches you have. So, yeah, they're, they're, you know, all of these things, they matter. You know, we, we focus on certain things and say, well, defensive coordinator, play calling is terrible. We need to just fix that. But that is connected to the actual development and how you're conducting practices, how you're developing those guys with reps and specific drills. Are those drills really connected and do they matter to those players, to how they perform in the game. And then philosophically, how are you teaching your players? What are you talking to them about and and impacting them psychologically? And then before they even get there on the practice field, what are they doing with nutrition? What are they doing in the weight room? What type of uh, weight activities are they doing? Is it stuff that's uh, for, uh, you know, CrossFit or just stuff for actually football that's applicable for football. You know, all these things are all connected. So they're, you know, it's, it's, it's really a program wide thing. And one thing that we've said over the past few weeks with this defensive coordinator search is that in my estimation, I threw a percentage out there and it's just kind of a, a, a vague general, you know, thinking about it, 30,000 foot view the defensive coordinator, you make the right hire, it only gets you 80% of the way there. Where are we going? National championship. That I think you make the right hire and you get the right pieces of the puzzle in place on defense and the defense improves. I think you get 80% there. I still think that there's things that Lincoln Riley has to do from a practice standpoint, from a preparation standpoint, and even on offense, things that they have to do to really be that team that everybody hopes they can be. When he was hired, the sort of next step for him as a coach, uh, going from Oklahoma, getting to college football playoffs, but then getting blown out, taking the step of getting there and beating teams and getting there and actually winning national championships, because that's what USC Trojan fans want to see. They don't want to see, hey, we got there one year, we won it, and then we disappeared off the face of the earth like LSU did. We want to continue to be there and be consensus we want to be there with Alabama we want to be there with Ohio State Michigan is now there uh, Clemson has fallen off and now it's like Michigan and Georgia that are there USC wants to be one of those programs that is perennial when it comes to national championship hopes and so I think to get to that point yes this is a potential coordinator hire that fills a lot of that a lot of that percentage but is it get them all the way there I think there are other things with the program that have to be reformed as well in order to get to those expectations. Gerard, one more thing I'm going to tack on to this segment is that Gabriel Relaford, the four-star composite. Committed to LSU. 
He did. Did he? Oh no, I was guessing. Nope. I thought that was breaking news here. <laughs> nope, nope. I'm I'm just saying he is slated to make his commitment between LSU and USC on Friday. And Gerard, maybe you jump the gun, but Steve Wolfong does have a fong bong in for LSU and the crystal ball commitment. The former Texas A&M commitment, uh, Gabriel Relaford, six foot two, two fifty five, edge prospect out of Shreveport, Louisiana, did take an official visit. To USC, but it's down to LSU and USC, and it seems like it's going to be the Tigers, but technically it's an upcoming commitment with USC in the final two, so did want to mention it on a recruiting podcast, Gerard, because I feel like uh, that's something we should do. Gerard, I think you've earned a break. I have earned less of a break, but when we come back, we're going to jump into that transfer portal, baby, so get ready. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I got to play. I'm going to play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Gerard, welcome back. How was your break? It was fantastic. How was your break? It was all right. It was all right. As I mentioned before the show, I'm dealing with that thing where you accidentally bite your lip and then you can't stop biting your lip. It's just this terrible cycle. So I've been trying to get through that with this podcast. And if you hear me scream randomly, it's because I just bit my lip. Uh, So, yeah, that's what I'm dealing with. But no one wants to hear about that. What they want to hear about is the transfer portal, Gerard, which opened officially on Monday. There's been a lot of movement. There's been a lot of action, not necessarily from USC players jumping in the portal. And I found that interesting. They've only technically had one new player jump in the portal. We'll talk about that in a second. But for the most part, USC not had a lot of action going in the portal. 
But obviously across the country, lots of teams have seen players depart and jump in. Some big names, some big, big names have gone in, and we're going to talk about it. But, Gerard, I just wanted to read this quote from the former five-star wide receiver Evan Stewart that he tweeted out. I saw it coming freshman year when I didn't get paid a dollar from A&M, but, quote, sliced bread had y'all thinking we was millionaires. I feel like that's a good segue into the transfer portal, Gerard, because Five's family, Five family member, saying he didn't get paid from Texas A&M, Gerard. Yeah, that's um, a pretty open, candid comment that uh, does not help A&M at all. I got to tell you, A&M is reeling this week. This is not <laughs> a good week for them. But uh, yeah, it turns out that uh, the Gambinos are not stepping up the way that uh, they thought they were. So maybe uh, there might have to be uh, a little uh, Bark Steakhouse action. I don't know what's going on with that program. But uh, if you know about the wise guys, you know a little bit of your mob history, you know about Spark Steakhouse and the Gambinos. <laughs> but nevertheless, yeah, that's um that's an interesting one. And that does echo a little bit of uh, NIL and promises made and, you know, these numbers that are thrown around and what guys are actually making what. But um, I think, you know, the one thing that maybe we don't talk about enough, but I think that is very important, it is roster retention. And the fact that with USC, even though they have not really dipped in to NIL deals for high school players and they have lost some guys because of that, they've done a good job taking care of the majority of the players that are on the roster, whether it's uh, deals uh, with House of Victory, Conquest Collective, uh, the Tommy Group. I mean, they all have pitched in and all three are really focused more on the current roster than they are recruiting. Uh, now, that's not to say that they aren't involved with transfer porthole prospects because they have been. Barry Alexander was a good example of that. And Barry Alexander got paid. Uh, but when it comes to the high school football recruiting trail and because USC's lost kids to Oregon and Miami and Tennessee and some of those five families, I think it gets talked about a lot. And um, there's still a lot of debate as to what's the best approach to recruiting these days. Is it allotting a specific percentage of each class to transfers? Is it go out there and get as many guys uh, from the high school ranks as you can, the best players? And if you need to supplement the class from a position need standpoint, you go into the portal it's hard to say, you know, we don't have enough data collected at this point, but I think, you know, the next couple of years, we're going to get that. Uh, what really works, you know, is the mercenary sort of roster, uh, is, is that the way to go? I mean, it worked for Lincoln Riley initially last season. It didn't work for Deion Sanders uh, this past year. They were still pretty bad. Uh, and now you could say, well, you know, they were really, really bad and they were just bad this year. So they did improve and being able to get those transfers did work, but there's, there's certainly going to be a uh, a line of diminishing returns, you know, from getting those high school kids that are four-star, five-star guys and going after transfers that are already known commodities from other colleges. Because, you know, there's only so many really good players that are going to be in the transfer portal and you are always going to be up against it when it comes to those sort of franchise positions, the left tackles, the quarterbacks, et cetera. There's only going to be so many of those guys that are going to be in the transfer portal. And so you really have to hit 
the iron right on the head uh, to be able to get uh, those players. And USC's gotten some of them. Um, and this uh, this season, uh, when it comes to the first window of the transfer portal opening up, they're going to be aggressive again, uh, just judging from some of the scholarship offers that are out and the recruitment of several key transfers that are in the portal right now. Yeah, let me just kind of read through, because I have my transfer Paluta, 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 polluted. Are you polluting the portal? Palooza <laughs> tracker going where I'm just continuously updating with stuff, potential targets and offers out there. Now, these are not all the offers because some of them are not always public, but these are kind of the public offers. And I'll start with the first one that went out. That would be to UPenn defensive lineman, Joey Slackman. What a name. Uh, at the time, he was the number one defensive lineman in the portal grad transfer. So six foot four, three hundred pounds. So makes sense why they were going after him. The next one, Upton Stout at a at a Western Kentucky University, a defensive back, five foot nine, Texas native, redshirt junior, uh, posted seventy three total tackles, five picks, and fifteen passes defended over twenty one games. So maybe a little veteran defensive back help that USC wants. One interesting offer was Texas A&M interior offensive lineman Remington Strickland, who is a center prospect, but he's not experienced. He was the third string center for most of the season, hasn't really played at all for Texas A&M, nine games, three years. Josh Henson obviously recruited him and coached him for one year. So I guess this is an opportunity for Henson to grab some depth at the center position. That's what I'm looking into reading this offer. But yeah, that was an interesting one. Uh, we'll get to the the quarterback at the end, but Michigan State offensive tackle Spencer Brown, one of the best offensive tackle prospects in the portal right now, six foot six, three hundred fifteen pounds. He checks all the boxes. He's flexible. Started twenty five games at right tackle, twenty straight at right tackle, and he has a couple starts at left tackle. So this is a guy you bring in day one starter from day one, and I said day one twice. Let's do it again three times. But yeah, this this guy is going to be one of the most sought after guys in the portal. You have the Duke edge rusher R.J. Oben, six foot four, two hundred sixty pounds, just seventeen tackles last year, but five went for sacks. That's very efficient. But a New Jersey native, USC has been in contact. You have Kansas State defensive back Will Lee the third, a six foot three, two hundred pound cornerback, came to to Kansas State through the JUCO ranks. Uh, pretty productive last year, 42 tackles, one and a half tackles for a loss, and then two picks and six packs breakups. They're highest graded defender, so USC looking for another long cornerback. You got Vanderbilt defensive lineman Nate Clifton, six foot five, 280 pounds, 37 starts to his name, so brings a lot of experience. And obviously playing in the SEC, so Nate Clifton probably going to be getting a lot of calls for some other Power Five schools. Uh, we have Bucknell defensive back, Ethan Robinson, six foot, 185 pound cornerback, uh, first team, all Patriot league, very productive, like hundred 150 plus tackles in his career, 25 pass breakups across 31 games, one year remaining. So USC definitely looking for some defensive back help. You have Purdue wide receiver Dion Banks. And we talked about USC potentially going after a number one type wide receiver and Burks, sorry, Dion Burks. I said Banks. Dion Burks fits that mold out of Purdue. Uh, posted 47 catches for 629 yards and seven touchdowns in 12 games. And that was for 
a Graham Harrell offense at Purdue, which was not great. So you imagine what kind of numbers you put up in a better offense. So Burks definitely been hearing from a lot of programs. USC has been in contact. So that is maybe a guy USC is going to try to bring in to be compete for that number one job. Five foot 11, 194 pounds. And then the latest offer that happened right when we were about to start recording. Gerard, I already forgot how we're pronouncing the last name. Unije. No. <laughs> Unije is how, how, we, how we talked about it. And it's not that. I can't remember now. Well, you, you're supposed to remember, not me. I, it's, that was 10 hours ago. Houston <laughs> offensive lineman Ruben Unije. I'm going to say Unije because that's the only one I remember. Six foot five, 305 pounds, offensive tackle out of Houston by way of Juco, by way of IMG Academy. His experience started 12 games at right tackle and then seven games as a junior, all on the right side. So this is a right tackle potential replacement for Jared Kingston. Uh, I believe he has one year remaining, but that is the latest offensive line offer for USC. I told Gerard before, it was kind of interesting to go Juco out of IMG. I, I don't think I've seen that before. But Ruben, Unijay, I probably said it different from the Yenai. first time I said it. Yenai. Yenai. There it is. Yenai. It's how, when I looked it up, it was being pronounced. Now, that might not even be accurate. But in general, that name is usually Yenai. Ruben Yenai. Yenai. Okay. So, Ruben and I, the latest official offer, public offer for USC out of the portal. And then the one I was saving to the end because maybe it springboards us into this topic, but Kansas State quarterback Will Howard. Now, I wouldn't say it's officially an offer per se. He hasn't posted anything, but Lincoln Riley, we did confirm, flew out to Manhattan, Kansas to meet with Will Howard. And if he's flying out there, there's got to be an offer on the table. So Howard, one of the Notable quarterbacks and one of the top quarterbacks in the portal. We talked about how USC was probably going to make a play for a transfer quarterback. It's Lincoln Riley. That's what he does. He's so good at bringing in quarterbacks through the portal. So no surprise here. Big, big body. Will Howard, six foot five, 245 pounds. Not the, not the flashiest stats, but he's a winner. Led Kansas State to the Big Ten, Big Ten, Big 12 title in 2022. He's thrown for over 5,700 yards, 5,700 yards in his career with 48 passing touchdowns. And he's got some mobility, which, you know, works with Lincoln Riley's offense. Has rushed for 921 yards and 19 rushing scores in his career. So USC taking a look at the quarterback, Gerard. And he seems to be target number one, which is interesting. As you said, a big boy, you know, 6'4", 6'5", 245 pounds. And... He is mobile. Uh, he runs by design for K-State, but not necessarily uh, quite elusive or agile in the pocket. So from that standpoint, in terms of supplementing your pass protection, which obviously Caleb Williams has done over the past two years, you're not getting quite as much with Will Howard. But you are getting a big body and a guy that's pretty tough to tackle and does have that mobility enough to where you can run your mesh reads and keep defenses honest because he will uh, gouge you. He, he will run for 20, 30 yards if uh, you, you leave it wide open. So that I think with all of the quarterbacks that we have seen mentioned with USC and the portal, 
you are seeing the element of being able to run the ball by design. And I think that's something I have sort of pounded the table on as we've gone through various cycles and talked about quarterback prospects like Dylan Rayola, who are not particularly mobile and not guys that really run the ball very much, and looking at the recipe for success for Lincoln Riley, and it has been guys that are mobile. Now, again, different kind of mobility here. You're, you're talking about a big quarterback that kind of runs downhill and he is used as a runner, but not necessarily a guy that if you have poor pass protection is going to be able to get away and extend plays the way that Caleb Williams has or a way that Cam Ward can, which is another quarterback prospect out there that is in the portal uh, through for, you know, 3,800 yards, 25 touchdowns, only seven interceptions, and he ran for eight touchdowns. A guy that's a bit more elusive as a runner. And so that's another potential name that's out there. We don't know if USC has moved in that direction. Also, again, as Chris said at the top, when it comes to portal transfer recruits and targets, some of these guys report scholarship offers, some of these guys don't. <laughs> they just all of a sudden end up uh, visiting USC or it sounds like, oh, you know, USC is about to uh, close in on a commitment here and there was no actual scholarship offer uh, talked about. So some of these guys want to lay low and they've been through the recruiting process already and they don't want to see it uh, talked about and they don't want to have people calling them and, and asking for uh, quotes about what schools are looking at, you know, what's your top 16, all that kind of nonsense. It gets done much quicker. And I think, you know, with USC staff, they appreciate that and they like to get it done uh, under the radar and quicker as well. So with Will Howard, yes, very predictable that USC was going to go after a quarterback in the portal. You do have Miller Moss and you have Malachi Nelson there. We haven't seen enough of Malachi Nelson to kind of know what he's going to look like in spring ball. He has been hurt uh, off and on and was rehabbing uh, his shoulder. Uh, but um, that's you know, a five-star guy coming out of high school. There's high expectations for him. With Miller Moss, the question has always been style. And it's always been pocket passer, a guy that you really aren't going to see run the ball a whole lot. But we're going to see it in the bowl game, I'm sure. We're going to see what he looks like in Lincoln Riley's offense. And he's going to get a chance uh, against a good defense, a good team, to be able to show if he – uh, with that style, being a pocket passer can be a guy that can be prolific as well. And we've seen Lincoln Riley dabble with uh, recruiting pocket quarterbacks and going after those guys. So it is interesting. I mean, it, it's it's kind of exciting to see what Miller Moss actually does with a full game underneath his belt and with the, the ones and, and playing with, you know, the, the top players on offense uh, from the beginning of the game, you know, what it looks like with him at the helm. And the final kind of quarterback that has been kind of thrown out there, Steve Wolfong did a story earlier this week about three quarterbacks USC could be looking at. And we already mentioned Will Howard and Cam Ward. But Dylan Gabriel's a name that has come up here, the former Oklahoma quarterback who entered the portal. But it seems like Oregon has the, uh, the lead way in getting Gabriel. He's very prolific, did a very good job for Oklahoma. The, when he transferred there, over 6,800 passing yards, 55 touchdowns, also has run for 18 touchdowns, so he has that mobility as well. Would be interesting if USC did pluck another Oklahoma quarterback for his system, but Dylan Gabriel's a name out there. But it seems like the Duckies are the ones trending in the direction for, for this veteran QB. 
Yeah, he and Dante Moore is another name that's uh, out there that was the freshman quarterback at UCLA. Had a couple starts underneath his belt, but clearly did not vibe with Chip Kelly. There's been some things said uh, after his uh, transfer about uh, the UCLA football program from his grandmother that were not very complimentary. And so he's out there as well, and, and Oregon has been involved. But obviously Michigan State is a school uh, now with uh, Jonathan Smith there trying to get him back home. So we'll see how that all goes. Uh, but, yeah, it does seem like Dylan Gabriel uh, is uh, going to be visiting Oregon, and, and Oregon probably wants to wrap that up uh, sooner rather than later and, and get uh, their heir apparent perhaps to Bo Nix um, wrapped up. But I think you know this is a situation where if we're talking about quarterbacks and we're talking about transfers, where Oregon's NIL and how aggressive they are at the high school ranks is nullified a bit more uh, by USC. I think USC, with just Lincoln Riley and his resume and the production he has had with transfer quarterbacks and the fact that USC is more apt to get involved with the NIL process with some of these transfers, I think that USC is kind of going to pick and choose who they want more so uh, than Oregon's going to be able to or any of these other schools. I don't know that they're really involved with Dylan Gabriel seriously right now. It seems like Will Howard is kind of the guy for whatever reason. I, and, and it's maybe something that Lincoln Riley has just seen in his game, uh, the, the the size aspect, maybe just, you know, going forward with the Big Ten. Um, I, you know, the, the, I've watched uh, plenty of Will Howard. I think that he's got a decent arm. Um, it's, it's hard to compare a lot with Caleb Williams because he's just that good. I mean, he's a generational talent and it's hard to, uh, to compare the next guy in line with the generational talent. Uh, Will Howard offers you again, a guy that can run, who's big, who's strong, who's going to have some durability. Um, but in terms of, uh, as a passer, you, you're not seeing like these amazing dynamic, uh, dime throws. I, I think actually Cam Ward probably, uh, puts the ball in, in a better place from that standpoint. It's a little more dynamic as an athlete. But, um, you know, there are other aspects of his game in terms of decision-making and, and in big games, um, you know, in that system, whether he, he was quite the winner that Will Howard was. You know, I think there's sort of that intangible that you get a sense with Will Howard that he can kind of sort of will his team to some wins, and I think Cam Short, uh, Cam Ward maybe came up short in some respects with that. Uh, Dylan Gabriel is a, a very good passer as well, um, moves pretty well, uh, not, again, quite as dynamic as an athlete as Cam Ward, but probably better from an elusive standpoint than Will Howard. So they all kind of have different strengths and different weaknesses, but it seems like Will Howard is kind of the guy that USC's focused on initially. Gerard, at this point, we could probably move into the unsubstantiated rumors. But I do have, I guess, a little bit of breaking news that could jump us into this because you do have this person down in the unsubstantiated rumors section, Samuel Ankulolo, who actually just picked up 10 minutes ago an offer from USC. So we're bridging the gap there, Gerard. <laughs> We're bridging the gap. I mean, I think first, though, it is interesting to look at the guys that have been offered scholarships and, and what the breakdown of that is from a position standpoint, because it is showing you a little bit of something in terms of 
personnel-wise, where USC is moving, kind of where they're gravitating towards. I do think it's interesting. We have not seen a ton of interior defensive line scholarship offers. Now, maybe that just has to do with the pool of talent that's available. But there's some guys on this unsubstantiated rumors list who mm-hmm. really, I think, could be on that offer list that at this point we don't hear have scholarship offers. So, again, you know, some of these guys are going to check in on social media. Some of these guys aren't. So we do have to take it with a grain of salt as to who's actually on the scholarship offer list officially and who's not. But I think, and I'd like to hear your opinion on this, I see a lot of offensive line, a a few right tackles, not a lot of guys that had played left tackle. Again, that's a premium position. That's a difficult position to get. You're not going to see a lot of those guys, so maybe that's just part of it. But a lot of right tackles, a couple interior guys, a lot of edge rushers, a lot of edge rushers. And that maybe, again, is something that's just a product of the porthole. USC's had success getting edge rushers. There's been a lot of edge rushers out there that have been available over the past two cycles of the transfer portal and there's a lot of offers out there right now. I mean, you mentioned Samuel uh, Ukinola, who is actually the older brother of Samson Ukinola. And Samson was the big offensive tackle for Maine that USC kind of sort of recruited a bit, ended up signing with Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Massachusetts? I thought he was in Maine. Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Okay. And he ended up. He's a mass hole. Committing. Okay. No, what? That means, but that's a Northeast thing. I'll, I'll let the Northeast guy uh, talk about Connor that. Connor or Ryan will will translate it at some point. Okay, um, but uh, nevertheless, uh, his brother signed with Miami, playing with Miami, um, and um, was a guy that uh, on the opposite side of the football, uh, his older brother was playing at Pitt and uh, tied the team in sacks. And ended up, um, you know, being a, a pretty decent player for them. And so now he ends up in the portal and is uh, offered officially a scholarship by USC. 6'4", 265 pounds, uh, a big guy uh, on the end and a guy that fits more of this type of defense. You're going to see bigger defensive end types that are going to be playing outside linebacker for USC. They are going to be crowding the line of scrimmage a lot more against a lot of these big 10 teams that run 11 personnel against them. So uh, get used to that, but that's interesting offensive line. It's been right tackles, interior guys, a lot of edge rushers, and they are absolutely looking for a cornerback. They're looking for a cornerback. They're going after a, a few different names. Nobody who like blows me out of the water in terms of their prospects, but it's clear that they want to get another cornerback. Uh, they're going to lose Christian Roland Wallace. They have Makai Blackman the year before. They want to get another top-end cornerback into this class. And so that's uh, that's interesting. Um, there's there's some positions there where we haven't seen a lot of offers that uh, we haven't seen any running back offers. Yeah. And that's interesting. And so that Maybe they're might, waiting for the right one, Gerard. Maybe they're that might lead us into unsubstantiated rumors. But I just wanted to comment because you asked for my opinion on the offers. And I think offensive line has been interesting because Lincoln Riley did address that during his presser on Monday. That, And I was surprised by his answer. He made it sound like at most they wanted two offensive linemen, maybe two. He made it sound like they were definitely going to get one sort of older veteran to come in, maybe two for, for depth purposes. And I actually kind of had a, 
had them pegged as getting two to three. So his number is about one to two, one for sure. And I would expect that to be, you know, a high level guy, a guy that's a plug and play guy, like a Spencer Brown for them. But, you know, like the Remington uh, offer is very interesting to me just because, as I mentioned, he hasn't played a lot. So I guess Henson wants some more center depth. So do I buy that they're only going to take at most two? He, he talked up the freshman class a lot. You know, he talked about Elijah Page and Alani Noah. Specifically, Elijah Page as being someone who's been making strides in the the, the camp pra- or the uh, bowl practices they've been having. You're starting to see him emerge a little bit. So, but are they willing to start him next season with that brutal schedule? I don't know. They'll have some interesting pieces coming back, especially if Gino Quinones is back off that injury. Will they get Jonah Monheim back? I, it is interesting that they've been. Seems like they've been targeting right tackles through the process in terms of their 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 experience offers in the offensive line. Is that kind of pointing to maybe Jonah Monheim is thinking about coming back? I don't know. I hope maybe to have a an update for that in the war room. But if they get Jonah Monheim back, that is huge for them, and obviously would cut down on them needing three offensive linemen or at least two starters to play on the offensive line. So maybe that's kind of what Lincoln Riley's hinting at. But I do find it interesting that it's, it is strictly kind of been right tackles that they've been going after, and then the the backup center kind of as a, a weird offer as well. What did Mike Tyson say? Everybody's got a plan until you get hit in the mouth. Well, I think, you know, USC might get hit in the mouth a little bit when it comes to looking at their personnel and, it's one of those things where you get into spring ball and you realize, yeah, that second window is looking real fine yeah. right now. It's Grab as many as you can. Grab and as many as you can. Yeah, you start, you start thinking, oh, yeah, I mean, just like with the offensive line and the high school kids, and they're bringing in three to four uh, during the summer, and they end up getting, you know, three guys that are committed right away, and they start shutting everything down because they don't want more than four. And lo and behold, here we are, and they're bringing in a kid this weekend, uh, and they've already got four commits. And all those guys seem pretty solid right now. So it's one of those things that, yeah, you really need to go. And if there is a guy there that can help your football program and you've already got a couple commits, then guess what? You make room for that potential left tackle or right tackle or whoever. They don't have a franchise left tackle on the roster. And Jonah Monheim played the position he is definitely better at right tackle. He's definitely better in the interior. So you have to keep the door open for a potential uh, left tackle to be able to come in. But it is interesting that, uh, again, I think it's just part of the pool of talent. There's not going to be a lot of elite left tackles that are transferring. There are not going to be a lot of elite defensive tackles that are going to be transferring. It's just part of why – uh, this aspect of recruiting, the top schools are still not buying into it totally. Alabama's not buying into the portal being, you know, half their recruiting class. Georgia's not. Ohio State's not. Michigan's not. None of them are. And so this is still something where USC, because they're not recruiting well at the high school level, and I say well, I mean to expectations within relative to what people expect of USC, which is to be top 10, you know, at, at least top 10, where you're talking about nine, eight level recruiting class out of high school, a lot of Trojan fans would fit and would say, hey, if you're going to go out there and win 11 games, you should be top five. 
That's what we're used to at USC. Now, NIL comes in to uh, that conversation and what have you. But nevertheless, if you're not having those type of high school classes, then yes, they're going to have to backlog and get into that safety net, that which is the transfer portal, and grab some of those guys. But you're going to be limited at certain positions because colleges are just not going to let great left tackles from Power 5 schools get into the portal. They're going to figure out some way to NIL that deal and keep those guys on the roster. So anytime that happens, I mean, and, and one of those guys does slip through and he ends up in the portal, it's everybody's scrambling. And, and like we said, it's one of those things when he's in the portal, it's already too late. He's probably already had his conversations. There's probably, you know, all the stuff that people are going to say is tampering. That's probably already happened. And he's going to have the you know two or three schools in mind, which he's going to give a look at. And uh, that that first visit might be his last visit. Uh, Gerard, the world's biggest USC fan, Casey Crawford, just dropped a in-home visit picture with Roy Manning and Coach Lynn from uh, visiting Cameron Fountain in Georgia right now. Nice, nice. So that's um you know sort of checking the box there in terms of uh lynn and roy manning being on the road together i don't think lynn has taken or been in home with any other assistant coaches to my knowledge uh yeah because dante was not with uh riley and him when they were in uh with uh marcellus williams and they weren't together with isaiah rubin either i think it was just Riley and Lynn. So interesting, interesting to see uh, them together with uh, Cameron Fountain. And it's all hands on deck. I know that Cameron Fountain's mom has been uh, very pro USC, but uh, he's got some schools that are trying to work them really hard. And uh, South Carolina, Florida State, uh, you know, Miami, Auburn, all those schools, you know, they're circling a little bit, seeing if they can get a late visit. And USC's, um, they're, they're doing a good job, you know, keeping those top guys that they have in the class uh, sewed up thus far. So we'll see. We'll see if we can get a hold of Cameron maybe uh, tonight or tomorrow. The thing is, he's probably got a lot of in-home visits going, Yeah. Uh, which is why, you know, he doesn't have a lot of time to get on the phone. So, you know, it's one of those things that uh, you don't want to read too much into it. But nevertheless, uh, good to see that um, Roy Manning and, and Lynn are there uh, together. And, um, you know, that's uh, going to be just interesting in terms of, Lynn meeting some of these assistant coaches. He does have a little bit of a connection with Sean Nua because I believe Sean Nua was defensive line coach at Michigan when Mike McDonald was there. So he was there for that year when Mike McDonald was the defensive coordinator in 2011, I think it was. And so there's a little bit of um, a little bit of uh, crossover in terms of what Lynn likes and schematically, you know, with, with Mike McDonald. And that's a great scheme. I mean, that's, you know, it, again, it's the sort of variant off of Wink Martindale, which is a variant off of Rex, Rex Ryan, um, but uh, is um, a little bit of uh, continuity there potentially just because uh, Sean knew had been in that system a year. Do you mind if I read her uh, caption with the, the picture? Is this from uh, Cameron Fountain's mom? Yes. Well, 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 look who stopped by. It was a pleasure having Coach Roy Manning and Coach Lynn. When I say the process was worth it, our new defensive coordinator is most definitely going to get our defense where they need to be. We are blessed, all caps, fight on emojis, heart and gold. Uh, 
hearts. Fight on, hashtag Trojan. And she's rocking a USC shirt in the photo, Gerard. So she's 10 toes down for USC, man. I don't know. I don't know. It seems like it. It would be the most brutal flip of all time. Be the most brutal flip of all time. It would be very difficult. Not the most beautiful, but a brutal one. Usually someone within the family, and that's like the way that a school is able to get in. It's not usually with the kid themselves at this point in time where you've been committed this long. It's always like the dad or stepdad or uncle that's very involved because he played college football. So he comes in and, you know, somebody finds that champion. That's part of the recruiting process. It's evaluating the recruits from a talent standpoint. It's also evaluating who the decision makers are in that circle. Mm. And so mama, mama found is the, uh, is the decision maker (laughs) in that circle. Absolutely. And she's in USC's corner. Yeah, definitely. So we can use that Gerard to finally dive into the unsubstantiated rumors because I tried to play it in for you, but you didn't take the bait initially, but now maybe it's time. Is it time? They want to know if it's time. It's time. Well, where should we start with this? Because you mentioned running back, and this has kind of been a juicy one for you. See, they're going to need to find a running back in the portal. They're going to need a guy, I should say, who can start right away for them in the Big 12. Or, excuse me, the Big 10. I keep getting them mixed up. You keep saying Big 12. I don't know why I keep saying Big 12. I don't know why. The Big 10, not the medium 10, the Big 10. So you could start running back or you can start for Gerard, the poster child for unsubstantiated rumors, defensive tackle, Walter Nolan, who started unsubstantiated rumors, you know? So there's lots of ways you can go with this, with the start of this segment. At the top of the list are two guys that really were a part of unsubstantiated rumors last year. And at the top of the list is running back Jay Knott out of Cal. And that's a name that floated around last year. I have pretty good knowledge of the situation where I think he was absolutely on the cusp of getting into the porthole last year. And from what I understand, you know, Cal has an NIL. It's not very good. It's Cal, of course. But Marshawn Lynch, not to be mistaken with Marshawn Lloyd, Lloyd. Marshawn Lynch and Deshaun Jackson actually have stepped up. Nice. And out of their own pockets, uh, gotten some NIL money from some of the players that are on the team. And uh, Jay Knott was one of those guys and, and was really kind of almost like the poster child for, hey, we're going to back our guys. We're going to get some money for them and get them some deals. And that happened for Jay Knott. But his name comes up again. He had another great year for Cal. Cal's going to the ACC. Uh, probably not going to be as relevant going forward. Not to say that they're really relevant right now in terms of the grand scheme of things with college football. And um, he is, of course, and this is why it becomes another subject to talk about, even though he is not currently in the transfer portal. We must underline that he Mm -hmm. is not in the transfer portal. He is a winner circles athlete. Athlete. I was going to say athletic, and I got stuck there. He is a Winter Circles athlete. And Winter Circles, uh, you know, some of the individuals involved there have been talking about how, oh, there's going to be some, some guys going to USC. It's going to be very interesting. And it 
you know, obviously it's those players that they have connections to. And Jaden Nott is one of those guys that's very, very close with uh, those that run the winter circle uh, training regiment. And so that's a name that's still coming up. And I think last year what happened is that USC thought they were going to get him, that he was going to go on the portal and he'd be a guy that they were going to be able to make a move on. And then it didn't happen. And that's when they pivoted to Marshawn Lloyd because Marshawn Lloyd originally, I was told, was USC was not involved with him. Even though that was being reported, look out for USC. That was being reported because he was from Maryland and he had this connection with Caleb Williams. But initially I was told by a very good source that would know these things yeah, he's not a guy for us right now. And that changed at some point within, I mean, it was like two weeks, two weeks, I think there were not a guy to he's on campus and it sounds like he's going to be a Trojan. So I, I think something happened there with Jade not. So we're going to see what happens this time around with Jade not. Is, is there going to be uh, another potential um, opportunity to get him out of the transfer portal, or is it just not going to happen and it won't come to fruition? He's going to stay at Cal. Uh, the winner circle connection there also goes with Tittoria McMillan and Noah Fafita out of, of course, Arizona. And again, Arizona going to the Big 12, uh, not a big boy conference now, kind of uh, the, the little medium 12 uh, sort of conference. And so we'll see if that's something that can dictate whether they want to stay with Arizona or not. They are a package deal from my understand. There are a few players from Arizona, and I know there's some Georgia fans that are like, "Yeah, let's not let's not go after anybody else from <laughs> Arizona because they feel like they're, the the Arizona players haven't necessarily really played well for USC in Dorian Singer and then Keon Bars." But I, again, you know, with with Dorian Singer, I was a little on the fence as to whether he was going to be that guy. I think people are thinking, you know, Jordan Addison type of level player. I, I don't know if he has that athleticism, and that that's probably the biggest issue. But I think he is a good player, and I think he's a better player than what he showed this past year. Um, and I think with Kalen Bars, unfortunately, uh, Alex Grinch. You know, I, I just I, I don't know. It just he he wasn't very good in, in some of the games, and then he wasn't used a whole lot, and it was just you know, it just never happened for him. And um, so uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that if you had an opportunity to get Tittori McMillan. Um, and again, it, you, you probably have to get Noah Fafita with him. And I don't see, I mean, that's not happening right now. And the fact that USC is going full on with Will Howard, they're, they're going to go after their quarterback. And if Fafita is not in the portal and there's not a sense he's going to be in the portal, then it's like, okay, whatever, and, and go get their guy. And if that happens, maybe, you know, in the second window or there's something that happens, okay. But as of right now, again, unsubstantiated rumors, but that's coming sort of uh, in alignment with uh, some of the WCA tweets that we've seen um, at the end of this season. But Walter Nolan is the other aspect of unsubstantiated. The poster child, baby. But he is now in the transfer portal. So it's different now. So he was a guy that we're hearing was going to enter the transfer portal and that USC was going to go after him and he didn't enter the transfer portal. But now he is there, and he is going to be a premium type of player for a lot of teams, 6'4", 290 pounds, dropped a little bit of weight. We've seen that with some of these Texas A&M players. It's interesting. Some of these guys have gotten a little smaller. I don't know if uh, Alex Grinch is going to be like a senior analyst with them coming up or something. But, yeah, they, they dropped a little bit of weight. He was a bigger guy coming out of uh, high school, if I remember. But down to 290, kind of a, a prototypical three technique at that size, 
but a guy that usually plays a, a lot of one shade and, and, and was originally coming in to play uh, more of a nose tackle type. So he did have a knee injury this year that looked really bad, but it wasn't an ACL. He actually uh, came back from it, has been practicing. And um, I don't know if he played against South Carolina, but he was projected to play against South Carolina. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how that all shakes out. But ha- does not have any scholarship offer publicly, officially with USC right now. But from what I understand, USC is going to take a hard look and maybe try to make a move after him. And they kind of have to. You know, he's one of those guys that's just a little bit um, too good. He has some production at Texas A&M, not a whole lot. Really, none of those defensive linemen that they've got have really played all that well. I mean, there's a, there are a couple of guys that have that have shown out for them. But, I mean, of the class, it just – that's the one aspect of when the conversation comes up with uh, whether you could get a guy like Elijah Robinson and, and he's recruited incredibly well over the past two, three years – what has the development been like? Because that has been a big question. It's not like Texas A&M's defenses have been lights out and it's just the offense. Their defense has not played particularly well either. Uh, it's, it's not like UCLA, where UCLA's you know defense this past season was just like incredible, has really good rankings. It's just the offense has just fallen off the face of the earth for some reason. You know, Cliff uh, uh, Chip Kelly – it was an offensive genius, offensive guru for so many years and, and was kind of like preeminent when he was up at Oregon in this past year, you know, UCLA, just they could, they couldn't score. So I don't know if that's an issue with quarterback or what have you, but nevertheless, uh, the defense played really well, but the offense didn't. And in some of those losses, particularly the Oregon state game, it was on the offense probably more than it even was on the defense. Vis-a-vis with Texas A&M, the defense hasn't really played well, and the offense was horrible too. So there's a little bit of both. And so I don't know, you know, how much can we put in on these guys? You know, Anthony Lucas, how has he looked at, at, at USC as opposed to when he was at Texas A&M? Well, I don't know. what. How, how can you even judge that with USC's defense? It was so bad. Again, I think he's a little out of position. Shouldn't be 250 pounds, 255 pounds, or wherever he said his goal weight was during the offseason. Um, but nevertheless, uh, you know, he's been healthy enough and um, looks like he, he he could be an improvement over the players that they had the year before. I mean, we saw him in the spring game and you saw the defensive line just in terms of how it looked, even with Jack Sullivan in there, it looked better than the year before. So for USC, you're hoping that the defensive line next year looks better than the defensive line this year. And you get that progression. And then you try to combine it with some half decent coaching and you actually get these guys to produce. So yeah, Walter Nolan, uh, another name that uh, is going to be floated around out there. And um, from what I understand, USC is going to try to be involved, but we have not heard anything about an official scholarship offer to this point. Uh, Gerard, just wanted to let you know we have a new transfer entry for USC that hit while you were talking. Michael Jackson, the wide receiver out of Las Vegas, officially has entered the transfer portal. Which, and not a surprise. Because not a surprise. That had been almost announced earlier by, I think, his dad that put that out yeah. there on Twitter. Yeah, definitely was one we saw coming. I think it's a little bit disappointing. I know Michael Jackson had been kind of one of those fan favorites among USC fans. He had, you know, flashed ability, you know, to make plays. He stepped up when injuries hit last year, was able to score four touchdowns, just wasn't able to see the field consistently. You know, he battled through some injuries, 
that uh, kept him off the field. You know, he leaves USC with uh, just 46 receptions over three years. I wouldn't be shocked, though, wherever he ends up going, if he doesn't, you know, he doesn't end up being a, a productive player with more playing time. And that was a guy USC fans wanted to see get more playing time, but just didn't happen. Uh, really great kid. You know, I covered him through the process. A guy who most USC fans thought was a four-star coming out of high school, did not play his final year because of the COVID year. So because of COVID during high school. So interesting guy, quiet. We'll always have the Michael Jackson celebration for his touchdown this year. So sad to see him go, but he deserves more opportunity than what he was going to get at USC. Yeah, solid player. Uh, Kind of, I guess, this year's transfer out akin to Kyle Ford. You know, kind of Mm -hmm. one of those guys that showed flashes and done some things and had some injuries, but you felt like, yeah, I mean, he could be a guy that could crack the lineup. And if there's injuries or things of that nature, get his foot in the door and kind of stay there, but uh, never really happened. But yeah, not a shock because of some of the social media posts by his family and some implications that were made there uh, before the season was even over. Um, But uh, nevertheless, you know, receiver USC is going to try to get uh, a difference maker and they're going to go after some guys, but uh, uh, I don't think right now there, I don't mean, I don't see any Jordan Addison's out there right now. You know, we'll see Julian Fleming is another interesting name out there that uh, has entered the portal and he's a former five-star look at that that segue wide receiver uh, caught 60 passes for 803 yards and six touchdowns the last two years. So he hasn't been super productive, but he's been good enough for Ohio state, uh, but definitely a guy that, um, you know, it's got some size, got some speed. There's just a lot of potential there in terms of uh, the athletic ability that he has. Uh, But another guy haven't heard yet anything about a scholarship offer from USC, but these guys that have been recruited really hard out of high school, those are the guys the Walter Nolan's, the Julian Fleming's that you don't hear a ton about. They're not going to be on social media saying I'm blessed for this offer and that offer. They've kind of been through that process already. Oh, glory to God. Hashtag. Uh, they don't need to kind of go through it all over again. Gerard, I want to talk a little bit more about defensive linemen because there are several in there. And I know you mentioned the big defensive tackles, but more defensive ends. A couple that are, you know, made for this unsubstantiated rumor discussion, one being Mikel Williams, the former five-star out of Georgia that was a USC commit at one point and then ended up, you know, flipping that commitment during that disastrous season. No one would blame him, but he was, you know, one of the more significant commitments in the Clay Helton era, even though it didn't up signing, but he was up there. Mikel Williams, difference maker for Georgia, And then another interesting one that just hit today, LT Overton, the former defensive lineman, former number one overall prospect in 2023 before he reclassified to 2022, ended up signing with Texas A&M, part of that ridiculous class. So he officially, not officially, I should say, he is, it is reported he is set to enter the portal. He has not officially hit the portal, but that's, you know, a defensive edge defensive end prospect that USC might be kicking the uh, tires on as he was recruited by Lincoln Riley uh, when he was at Oklahoma. Yeah. And so the interesting dynamic here is that 
you know, Bear Alexander is sort of a contact point for a lot of these players because Bear was recruited by Texas A&M, he was recruited by Texas, and recruited by Georgia. And there was all this back and forth, you know, is he going to go to Texas A&M? He's going to stay with Georgia. He decommitted from Georgia. Everybody thought he was going to go to Texas A&M. I don't think he ever actually verbally committed to Texas A&M, but he runs the trail with a lot of these defensive linemen. So he knows a lot of these guys. And so when Mikel Williams' name comes up, he is not in the transfer portal right now. No one has actually reported he's expected to get into the transfer portal. There's just been really more rumors from social media accounts. People have to remember when he committed to USC, there were two main influences with him in USC. One, he was half-brother of Michael Trigg, who was the former tight end wide receiver that had committed to USC and was a freshman at USC during that time. That was kind of a big deal. The second thing was Armand Hawkins. Armand Hawkins was kind of the point man for recruiting Mikel Williams out of high school and Christian Miller, who was also a defensive lineman uh, out of Georgia, who was being recruited by USC. And Mikel Williams ends up committing after his official visit during the summer. And Mikel Williams always had better reasonings uh, for committing to USC and, and looking at USC. Christian Miller was more, I like Hollywood. I like blogging. I like doing uh, TikToks. And I like uh, being on social media and I want to be a personality of sorts. I want to be an influencer is basically what Christian Miller wanted to do. But in terms of like USC and the, and the academics and location, et cetera, yeah, there wasn't a lot of substance. And lo and behold, he actually never ends up committing to USC. Uh, I had written stories. and It was right talked, on the edge. It was right on the edge. He was close. And we had talked about him being a silent commitment. And he did give me some quotes about committing to USC and, you know, to just hold them. But it never actually happened. And they both end up going to Georgia. Georgia has a great run. Um, he was a plan B for Georgia, ironically. But USD, you know, was not able to kind of close the deal there. And then once Clay Helton gets fired, it's completely done. Uh, Michael, uh, Mikhail Williams also decommits. But those two contact points for USC, those two factors for USC in recruiting, particularly Mikhail Williams, are no longer there at USC. So we have to say, you know, even though everybody – if Mikel Williams ended up in the transfer, we're going to say, well, USC, USC, USC was committed to USC at one point. Yes, but it was a completely different staff. Uh, the coaches that were there are no longer there. And his half-brother, Mike Trigg, is no longer at USC. So I don't know that it would be a slam dunk for USC even at that point if he did end up uh, in the transfer portal. But, yeah, a, a very good player with a, a ton of potential. And he has been a guy that's flashed for Georgia already, kind of like Bear Alexander has flashed. Uh, with LT Overton, hasn't been very productive at Texas A&M, uh, only 17 tackles last season or this past season, um, plays kind of in a three-point stance as a five-tech, dropped a little bit of weight, and I don't think it's for the better. I, again, I was saying with Texas A&M, some of these guys have dropped weight, and there's a perfect example of another guy that's trying to be a bit of an edge rusher at uh, like 265 pounds when he probably should be interior at 285 pounds. Um, he had really good high school film, uh, was was pretty dominant at the high school level. But you watch him at Texas A&M and, and some of the games that he's played, he hasn't played a whole lot. He did have, a, I think, a start against Arkansas last year uh, in 2022. 
And um, he's just kind of out there, you know, just kind of a big body, a guy. But you feel like th- there's some natural pass rush instincts and skills there, but they would just be better off playing inside. And so he would be a good fit for this type of defense, specifically when you're going into a 3-4 type of base set and your five technique. Uh, again, I don't think 265 is where he needs to be. I think he needs to be at 285, but nevertheless, he's a down lineman. You know, it's not like uh, Latou where you're putting him as a five technique and he's really more of a stand-up outside kind of pass rusher. This is a defensive lineman. You know, LT Overton is absolutely a defensive lineman that you want him in a three-point stance. Uh, you want him anchoring. And I just think if you could put some more weight on him, uh, that's a guy with a lot of talent there still. So he looks like he's going to be in the portal, but we just don't know yet. I think that um, that's that's probably going to happen, though. I get the sense that you're going to see uh, a, a bit of an exodus um, going on at Texas A&M right now. Now, are any of these guys going to just follow Elijah Robinson to Syracuse? I assume so. Assume so. There's, there's, there's maybe some do that, uh, but I don't. Syracuse is a tough sell for a bunch of kids from the south. It's cold, you know, baby. It's cold. Most of these kids are from the south, and it, it's very cold, and so. Um, we'll see, you know, we'll see, you know, how much, and, and again, you know, you said this, um, at the, at the start with Texas A&M not paying their players and not seeing a dime and all of that. And, and, you know, that's one thing where if you do treat your players, right. And Barry Alexander seems, he's very happy at USC and, and, and the transfers do seem like they're, they're pretty happy at USC that goes a long ways in recruiting these guys. And so, you know, if there's another Bear Alexander deal out there in terms of salary cap, and saying that figuratively kind of is a joke, but for uh, NIL transfer players, um, you know, you got Caleb Williams uh, off the <laughs> off the payroll right now, and that frees up oh. maybe a lot of cap room to go after some defensive linemen. I mean, you're going to have to pay Will Howard something. You're going to have to pay the quarterback position something. Um, and so that that is going to take a chunk out of it. But I don't think it's Caleb Williams money. Uh, or Jordan Addison money or, 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 or those type of players. So I think there is probably some money that can definitely go up to upfront players. And so if that's, you know, part of getting into the conversation with some of these guys, uh, I think USC should be able to be there. Gerard, let me give you a little bit of a break here. I know there's one player that I can speak to, and that's the linebacker, Deshaun Barnum, who very sadly has decided to transfer from the University of Maryland, my Terps. He was a big, big get for us. And he started for two years at inside linebacker, started as a freshman, high profile. I believe he was a five-star, or he was at least close. I believe he was top 50, but led all Big Ten freshmen in tackles in 2022. Was a really talented player for us. And, you know, I'm I'm devastated to think that uh, he's not going to be playing for Maryland next season. But USC maybe want to get a little bit of linebacker help that hasn't been entirely confirmed because linebacker is an interesting spot. They should be returning Mason Cobb and Eric Gentry. Tacky Curtis should be coming back. Rayshon Davis, I believe, is coming back as well. So you have four of your top five with Shane Lee leaving to graduation. So maybe you just want a little more juice in that room uh, considering how they did not play that well. But the talent is there. So Barnum could be an option for them. Uh, Derek Harmon is, Gerard, you mentioned not having a lot of big defensive tackles 
in the process, but or in the portal, excuse me. But Derek Harmon fits that bill. Six foot five, 320 pounds. He is officially in the portal. Had 40 tackles this season, including one and a half sacks and a forced fumble. You know, he's not a sack guy. He's a space eater. Had two sacks uh, uh, in 2022. Three and a half sacks altogether. But six foot five, 320 pounds. Gerard, does that kind of fit the nose tackle body you were thinking of? Yeah, you want 300 plus. I mean, you yeah. want big guys. They don't necessarily have to be six foot five. Uh, I think uh, Jake Toy is probably in like six foot three range at most. But nevertheless, um, you, you need some 300 plus pound guys that can be a bit of space eaters, uh, quick and strong. And so he is a guy that USC is, uh, from what I hear, that, that, that he's on the radar for them, um, but haven't heard anything about a scholarship offer. Yet, uh, you did mention uh, Jason Barham, uh, who I think, you know, just one of those players that on paper is just a really talented player and you should be making that call. I mean, you say Mason Cobb is coming back or should be coming back. I mean, he is a senior technically. Uh, he has one year of eligibility left. I think that's like his COVID waiver year. That's true. He could grad transfer if he wanted to. And, and I mean, he could dip his toes into the NFL draft. I mean, you you scoff at that because of how USC's defense played, but that doesn't stop guys. I mean, sometimes they just feel like, hey, I'm ready to make that move, and they get a grade, and they get somebody in the ear that says, oh, no, 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 man, you, you're you're good enough. You can play there, and they jump in. So we'll see what, what happens with that. Um, but I think, you know, Mason Cobb is definitely a much better player than he showed this past year. I, again, I think the defense just played so bad. you gotta got to put a lot on the coaching staff, man. I mean, it's – only so many guys can be busts. You know what I mean? Only so many four-star guys, only so many all-conference players can be that bad. And um, that's kind of what it looked like for USC. So uh, I think with uh, a guy like Jay Sean Barham, you could definitely make a run at him. Uh, USC is also offered, or I shouldn't say offered a scholarship. I'm hearing that they are in the mix trying to get involved with Marley Cook, who has been offered a scholarship by, I think, Tennessee, uh, Ohio State's gotten involved with him, uh, started the last two seasons for Middle Tennessee State. He was all uh, PFF uh, conference team. And so a guy that's, you know, uh, being recruited by a lot of players. The interesting thing with him, though, he's a bit more like Bear Alexander than he is maybe a true nose tackle. He's only mm-hmm. listed as 6'2", uh, 298. So, yeah, you're looking for like 300-pound-plus guys. You're looking for guys who are really – you're not trying to sell on playing nose tackle. It's like, that's what they do. Like, this is where you're going to come in. You're going to make an impact. And so, you know, you're not trying to like convert players uh, that think they're coming in to actually play three technique. Uh, So yeah, that's the couple of the defensive line um, interior guys that are being talked about going to the portal, either in the portal, don't officially have scholarship offers, but are guys that USC fans should definitely keep a watch for. And then there's just like a bunch of, uh, like you said, edge players, uh, guys like Kyle Kennard um, played in all 12 games. There's nine, nine uh, starts for him, defensive end for Georgia Tech. Uh, Lola was another guy that uh, was on there. Zion Young, I think, is going to get a scholarship offer from USC shortly. Uh, played in 20 games. Um, and uh, was a guy with like 47 tackles, and two and a half sacks, big body, 6'6", 245 pounds. Uh, um, and then you've got uh, you, in the back end, we've talked about cornerback kind of being that one 
uh, position where USC is trying to get that guy again. You know, they're trying to get that guy. They did get actually technically two cornerbacks out of the last cycle because they got Traquan Fegans late. In, Who uh, looked kind of good towards the end of the season, and they kind of made him a safety at the end of the season after starting him at quarterback. So I, he could be a piece next year, Gerard. Should be a safety, absolutely. Uh, another guy that you know didn't mention but could potentially be that star back type player. He's got some good size and could probably put on some weight. He's not fast, so you want him probably more towards the line of scrimmage as a safety than being a free safety that's going to be out there. He's got to cover a lot of ground. Um, so, yeah, there's some potential with him there. But another guy that's going to be in the portal here is Kamari Wilson, the former five-star out of IMG. Uh, was in uh, 13 games in 2022, made two starts, had 39 tackles, uh, one and a half for loss, one forced fumble, one defended pass. He was a guy that USC recruited. Um, I can't recall them actually getting him on campus for an official visit, but he talked up USC a lot, had a pretty good relationship uh, with Dante Williams. So we'll see if he's maybe potentially a guy – uh, that USC gives a look. I do say this all the time, though, and I, I'm still a staunch believer in you've got to evaluate college film and not allow your nostalgia from high school to get mm -hmm. the better of you. And it's an interesting thing. You talked about uh, the offensive lineman, uh, the center prospect. Uh, was it Remington out of uh, Texas? Strickland, a &M? yeah. Strick Strickland? Remington Strickland. Yeah, Re Remington Strickland. Um you know, that's that's clearly Josh Henson saying, I saw this kid in high school. He was a good player. I recruited him. I know he can play for me. Texas A&M didn't have good evaluators. They didn't have good, uh, I should say, self-evaluators. They didn't have good development. I can make that kid into a player. So, you know, you, you do – that's high school. And that's high school film you're basing that on completely, which can get you into trouble. So that one will be interesting if it comes to fruition for USC and they actually bring him in. Uh, if he ends up being that guy and Josh Henson was right also all along or, you know, you didn't you didn't put enough emphasis on his college film and you were recruiting more of what he did in high school. Gerard, can I read you another uh, Casey Crawford tweet? Do it. Do okay. Read us all. Not just yeah. me. Read it for all of us. It's yeah, it's it's story time, but in a tweet. Yeah, uh, we she quote tweeted someone who said if Mama Crawford approves that I know we are just fine. She quoted, every question I asked, he had the right answer. That was all caps. He is focused on learning the players and developing what he sees. He is watching, and I love it. I am one heck of a mom and a handful, so you have to be ready for me. And he was, all caps. Good job, quote, coach. Excuse me. Good job, coach. And then three fight on emojis. So uh, another stamp of approval from uh, Mama Crawford. Three. What is that? Three, three Chris. What does oh, the three mean? I'm not. I'm not something. doing an hour on analyzing the three. <laughs> does it uh, mean three, emojis. four? What does it mean? Just are you ready for uh, emoji season being back, Gerard? Three Gerard? emojis with two fingers. That's six. What? What does it mean, Chris? Okay. <laughs> oh, oh, she had a new one here. One more. I, oh, have met, I have met Riley. This was two minutes ago. I have met Riley. So meeting the new defensive coordinator was what I needed. Every question I asked Coach Lynn was ready eye-to-eye, -eye, man to mom. His focus is learning the players, developing. Y'all got a good one, Coach Roy. He is all about being better, all caps. Interesting. You got a good one, Coach Roy. <laughs> ah, interesting. Interesting. We're, we're gleaning a lot from Casey Crawford's uh, tweets. So uh, 
If you don't follow her, you should, because she is uh, insightful uh, on these uh, on this crazy app called Twitter. So maybe we'll read one more before if she tweets something else before the end of this. Uh, but I think we're done. Time. I think we're 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 kind of at the end of the transfer portal unsubstantiated rumors, potential prospects. You know, there are other names that we could obviously mention. There's a bunch of players that USC is following that we've heard little things here and there about that USC may be interested in. But we've got a couple of weeks here. So we're going to burn ourselves out on uh, guys who are not in the portal or guys that are in the portal that USC at this point we don't know actually has their 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 claws into and it's a, a weird thing because, you know, at the same time, USC is trying to figure out what their defensive staff is going to be like. Is their defensive staff already set? And it was this secret handshake that the uh, coordinator was going to keep the entire defensive staff because they're all best friends of Lincoln Riley. No, I don't think so. Uh, but nevertheless, is there going to be um, some coaching uh, overlap here between the two staffs? Uh, we don't know. That's uh, that's what, um, you know, the next uh, few weeks are are going to show us. And, and certainly we got to get on the other side of the bowl game because that's really right now. Those guys are still on contract and their job is to still get those players ready for Louisville. And once that's behind us, then I think we start to be able to make uh, greater opinions, more educated opinions about what the future staff is going to look like. Jordan, I'm going to leave it up to you. Do you want to do one question for listener questions? Yes, okay. at least one question. Okay, okay. Just a reminder, we're doing listener questions. We're just going to do one, which in this case is two questions, but you know what I mean. If you want to email us a question, you can email us at podcast.usfuel.com. Just make sure you put the composite, Cilantro Boys, Two Star, Chris and Gerard, what have you, and it'll go to my inbox. So we're going to do one from a guy who always sends in questions for, you know, it's 90% of the time, Rich in SD. So let me just get to it. He has one for you and then he has one for me, Gerard. So thank you guys for updating content as you get it or vetted. Keep it coming. Shout out to Hurricane for cooking up a gourmet dish with the Lynn defensive breakdown. I can picture G-Mart in the garage violently smashing the keyboard maybe boss man inside troy can buy you a new one or a voice recorder gerard is that how it went give us some insight no that what <laughs> why would i be mad smashing the keyboard i absolutely you're furiously knew. typing out oh I, I just i thought that was like out of frustration or something because oh. i couldn't understand the scheme um no i do need a new computer my t button as i have said on the peristyle is done it's completely F's in chat, um, but it's just like a 2012 uh, MacBook Pro, so I've really gotten a lot of uh, run with it. Uh, but nevertheless, um, no, 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 no. It was it it, it I, I got to tell you, I nerded out. It, it's really a cool scheme, and there's a lot there that still needs to be revealed and looked at. And I was actually texting some other coaches and some people that have uh, seen the scheme and what have you trying to get a little more idea of like back end coverages and why they do this. And, you know, kind of getting a little more why is, is opposed to just seeing what I'm seeing on film and, and what have you, but um, having never been a professional coach, you know, I've never gotten paid to be a coach. Uh, I still really 
nerd out on matchups and personnel usage and why and you know you know you're going to use this guy here instead of this guy or you know how you're trying to align these players and their talents and and trying to turn it into a weaponry against the offense and so again this is a sort of more sky's the limit type of defense you're not taking the field knowing okay this defense was made because you can't recruit defensive linemen or you can't recruit defensive backs that can play in man coverage this is a scheme made at the nfl level to say hey we're going to get the best and we're going to play the best and we're going to be really, really effective doing it. And we're just going to, you know, the sky's the limit in terms of uh, the potential of what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. And I will say it is a very, very complex scheme at the top with Rex Ryan. I mean, he got criticized by some of his players in Buffalo for the scheme being too complex. Now we cut to uh, USC's players looking at their wristbands uh, when we talk about too complex. But nevertheless, the transition of that scheme and, again, taking it to the college level, which would be the biggest um, sort of like you're, you're, you're on the edge of the edge. Can this work? You're worried about the most. We've seen it already transition. So that part is over. You know, the, the most scary part of – DeAnton Lynn being a defensive coordinator at the college level, it's already happened. You know, you you made that transition with UCLA. It worked really, really well. You're getting a young coach who is also sort of developing this, this scheme as well. So, you know, that's another kind of exciting thing about it. You can always go after the guy that is the established uh, older coach, the Clancy Pendergast, right? And it's great to have a guy that's seen a lot of it before, and and there's nothing that's really going to surprise him. Um, But at the same time, you're always trying to stay ahead of the game. And defensively, you know, no one had seen a DeAnton Lynn defense until this year. And so this is really like the first time that people are starting to see things from him and they're trying to do their research. And I I even had some, some college coaching friends you know text me back about what they thought and what they saw and i was like that's that's not really aligning with what i saw like i mean are you really sure like you're you're kind of com- comparing the scheme to some other schemes that i mean dance and linda's didn't have any uh association with those coaches so it tells me that you know people really don't know quite yet what he's doing um but i mean we know from a like again philosophical standpoint the roots of his system, they go back to, to Rex Ryan. And there, there's a whole lot there to unfurl. You know, Rex Ryan himself, very complicated, you know, 3-4-4-3 hybrid. What the heck is that? You know, all that stuff. I mean, they said that at the NFL level. So you're now taking from that and you're trying to move it to the college level. And you did that with a lot of success. And, and, and listen, Mike McDonald did it with a lot of success at Michigan as well. And Michigan has from that point, just continued to have very, very good defenses. So, you know, hopefully for USC, they are starting a lineage of sorts where they can build off of this. Because if DeAnton Lynn is very successful at uh, USC, just like Jim Lanner, just like Tony White and some of the other uh, candidates that they had in the defensive coaching search, he's going to be up for head coaching job. So you you hope that they can keep him at least a couple years. He can do really well. 
they can get to the highest levels, he can get paid, and then he can move on as a, as a head coach, but there's somebody behind him where there's some continuity, or at least there's somebody in that tree that you can go try to grab and bring it in and keep continuity with the system, because that would ultimately be what would really help USC, and um, I think that's something that when you look at the teams that have been good year in and year out at the top of college football, the Alabamas of the world, there's a lot of continuity on defense. You know, with, with Nick Saban, uh, he's brought people in that they're running not the same system. You know, they've evolved, but in terms of philosophical roots and what they do, they've evolved slowly because what they were doing to begin with was really good. And it was it was rooted in good fundamentals. And so that's sort of what you want to see from USC with this up-and-coming defensive coordinator. I just want to point out that that wasn't a question. That was just the opening to his question, and Gerard did 20 minutes on it. So I think that's well, I thought that was the question. That wasn't the question. I was just That was just the intro. Oh, so that was just a long pause? <laughs> I, was just jokingly, pause. I was just jokingly asking you if you oh. were violently mashing the keyboard and then you went off into a diatribe. Oh, about okay. the defense. I actually thought that was the, the no, implication, no, no, no. and I had to set the record straight that I, guess I wasn't it's just in the garage, and I wasn't uh, violently matching the keyboard. It was it was a lot of windows up to watching film and going into Rex Ryan talks and seminars and all kinds of stuff. I'm going to do my question first, but I also want you to answer it. CT, I know the porthole is less than 48 hours old, but given who is in it, at the start of this pod, give us your number one pick. Now, this is an interesting question because if I'm just picking off anybody and anybody in the portal and not someone that USC has specifically offered, I have to go Walter Nolan, right, Gerard? Yeah, well, I mean, explain. Don't say right, Gerard. What, why, do you, why do you think that? Because it's like the biggest need that USC has for their front. They need to get bigger. They're going to... The Big Ten, not the 12, the Big Ten next year. You're deficient on the defensive line. Bear Alexander could use a sidekick. And while Walter Nolan isn't maybe going to be that nose tackle, you can still use him and he would be a big boost for that front. So I feel like I know I could probably go Will Howard, maybe just grab the quarterback now. I could go Spencer Brown get my offensive lineman, highly sought-after offensive lineman. But I feel like I need to build the defense. I need to build the front because you are losing a lot of bodies on the front. I need them. I need at least four or five. So I'm just going to get the best one out there, and I'm going to grab Walter Nolan. So that is my number one pick. And if I just have to do with guys who have been offered, I'm probably going to do Spencer Brown, the Michigan State offensive tackle. But if anyone... Walter Nolan is who I'm getting. Interesting. Interesting. What's annoying is that when you actually go to the transfer portal on our site and you try to hit all schools, it doesn't give you anything. So we got to get Casey on that because it's just not pulling up anything. It's just pulling up the USC players that are transferring out and the players that would potentially transfer in, but there's no transfers in at this point. But as you stated, Walter Nolan, number one, Defensive lineman, I would have to agree with you. It's a neat position. He could potentially be an elite player at a premium position. So mm -hmm. it's one of those deals where there's not a lot of those guys that are going to be there uh, to recruit. And you definitely, there's 
there's you're you're also making one of your better players that much better. That's always something that can get kind of overlooked. Like you're you're doubling down and you're helping a player that is already a potential franchise level player for you get better. And this is something you see in the draft with the smart teams. You know, you 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 got a great quarterback. Okay, well, you need to go get a wide receiver now, or you got a great wide receiver. You need to go get a great quarterback. Or if you've got a, a really good franchise running back, well, you need to go start getting some linemen. And and so with USC, for sure, being able to get somebody that uh, would be a good defensive lineman for them, you know, is is Walter Nolan still going to be a guy that could be a nose tackle? Is he trying to be more of a three technique and then bears a three technique? That's a little bit of a question, but I think – you know, good defensive linemen or good defensive linemen, you, you find a way to get them on the field. And if you're running a 3-4, then you do have that potential of putting uh, Bear Alexander, Walter Nolan, and then still another guy that's 320 pounds on that defensive line. That's that's this defense. Like, if you're running it ideally from a personnel standpoint, you've got a guy that's 300, you got a guy that's 300-plus, and then you got a guy that's 280 to 290. I mean, that's what you're running. Even, even running the 3-3-5, and looking at what uh, Nebraska was doing when I was researching Tony White, they've got three guys on the defensive line when they run their three three five that are you know two eighty two ninety three hundred. So yeah, you you definitely want to get bigger. And so I would say Walter Nolan uh, top of the list. Um, I'd probably go, and this is more because I trust in Lincoln Riley. Go with Will Howard and say your quarterback is going to be mm-hmm. the second guy on the list because that that position is just so important. Yeah. And if Lincoln Riley is going all the way out to, I say Manhattan, Kansas, I don't think uh, Will Howard actually lives in Manhattan, Kansas. I, I, I don't know for sure. I mean, maybe he just lives off campus. He could still be in Manhattan, Kansas. But nevertheless, going all the way out to Kansas to go visit Will Howard, he must think a lot of Will Howard. And that, I think, is is a, probably a pretty big deal for USC. Um, but nevertheless, yeah, I, I think that um, there are some definitely interesting names that are here, um, some good players. But I would agree with you when it comes to like the number one guy right now, it's it's Walter Nolan. And then your question and to wrap us up here is Gbart question about coaching changes. You often talk about Tim Drevno being the wrong guy for coaching O-line in the air raid offense when your boy Helton was around. I didn't realize Helton was your boy, Gerard. He then hired McGuire for his scheme. Is it the same for D-line, defensive back, and linebacker coaching under Lynn's scheme where you need specific guys? Yeah, I, I think you want that, and that's why I mentioned Sean New actually uh, coached under Mike McDonald. I think philosophically you want to be on the same page because you, you're going to potentially have some conflicts of how you coach a position and what your emphasis is and whether that emphasis jives with what the defense requires, whether it be uh, the, the type of coverages that you run and teach. Now, you know, I think all college coaches at this level know all the coverages. They know all the, 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 the alignments in terms of run fits and things like that generally. But in terms of how you practice it, and what drills you use to practice it, I think that's where you see the difference. And, you know, you see it on offense more because you get maybe a situation where you got Graham Harrell and they're running mesh read and then they don't practice mesh read. They don't really know fundamentally what you're trying to achieve 
by running drills with mesh read or how much you run that in practice. Um, and I think with defense, it's the same thing. Certainly with your front players, uh, your big guys, what type of containment drills are you running? What kind of blitz drills are you running? How many blitz drills are you running? Um, and, and it gets dictated from the top down with the coordinators. And, and like I said, you know, Danton Lynn came to UCLA and he already had some of those coaches there. So it wasn't like he got a whole new coaching staff himself there. But I do think you want to have some people that understand what it looks like when it's being run well. You know, what does the defense look like when it's actually hitting on all cylinders instead of, well, I know what a good defense looks like when it's this defense or that defense. And, and you've had other experiences. So unless, you know, it's a super dynamic recruiter and you just kind of have to teach them along the way, I don't think you want to have to teach all your assistant coaches like, okay, this is what we do in this defense. Because again, this is a pretty complex defense and I know you're going to dumb it down for college players. You want them to play fast. You don't want them having to think too much, but at the same time, um, you know, I remember, you know, even going back to the offensive side of the ball when Jeremy Bates was brought in as an offensive coordinator, he was coming from the NFL. And I've always been very against uh, NFL offensive coordinators going to college. It just does not work because there is too much complexity, too much terminology. You've got 20 hours. It, it always seems to be really difficult to pull off. And Jeremy Bates, I remember one assistant coaches at USC was saying he, he said he goes you know he goes the players don't know what he's teaching he goes I don't think we know as a coaching staff half the shit that comes out of his mouth when he's on board so I mean that was telling me like holy cow so you you don't want to get to that level and I don't think it would be at that level on the defensive side of the ball because again keep it simple stupid is, is always sort of the the goal defensively because you want your guys not to be reactive and thinking because it slows them down and they're already having to react to what the defense or excuse me, what the offense is doing. So you, you can already, you're already kind of a step behind, you know, is everything. Um, but I do think you want to have some sort of, I mean, I almost feel like there's an identity a philosophy. I, I do think it would be advantageous to certainly get uh, a majority of your staff members that have, um, some type of lineage or it, 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 you just feel like this guy gets it. He understands what we want to do here and how we're going to do it. Um, I, I do think that's, that's important for, for either side of the ball. All right, Gerard, we didn't exactly go into Wednesday, but it was still a pretty long podcast considering all we had to talk about. Thank you for the work that you put in. Thank you. If you made it this far to the podcast for listening all the way through of these three hour plus, just a reminder, we have our merch at the Parastyle shop. I doubt Gerard went ahead and looked at it from the last time that I talked to him about it. So I don't know, maybe that'll, that'll change by next week. Just a reminder, we have our live show that'll be coming up at the end of the month. Just want to start building buzz for that. Gerard signed on last week to do it. So with that, Gerard, I don't think there's anything left to say but to get out of here. Yeah, there's uh, a whole lot of uh, interesting prospects in the transfer portal. We'll see who they're able to get on campus. We'll see what uh, USC does at the quarterback position because there are uh, a few different names popping up there. And um, this is just the beginning of it, really. You know, We're going to see throughout the week and into next week uh, more names that come in. So bear with us. Stay uh, stay close to the peristyle because I'm sure there's going to be 
a lot of news, you know, just kind of like every day there's going to be things trickling out and, and new names that could totally change the uh, direction in which USC is recruiting when it comes to transfers. And I'm going to go out here and read one more Casey Crawford tweet, and then I'm going to close out this thing. I can just cry right now, but I'm an OG. Now, what is Coach Manning laughing at? No telling. Plenty of laughter and good conversation. The best they could have hired Coach Lynn is about to dominate defense. Woo, I can feel it. We're going to end on that note. I am Chris. That is Gerard. This has been Composite Two Star Recruits. Thank you for listening, and we will catch you next time. Yeah, Leopard sucks!